Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash Media. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 177. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son, Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you? I hear a dog barking already in the background. I think it's it's trouble. Chris, this is all about you, though. Now, it's not about... Do you hear? Oh, yeah. I heard it. Yeah, for a second. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Shut the door. There he goes. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. Okay. All right. Okay, I'm back. All right. Uh, we didn't. I didn't anticipate that. No, of Mike not. is gone right now. At a, oh, she's out running errands or doing something. So, trouble needs attention, and she she loves her attention. But Chris, back to you. I'm sorry. Welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well, man. I'm feeling feeling pretty good. I'm playing a lot of games. Some of them are, you know, disappointing, and <laughs> the others are pretty good. We'll get into really? that later. But yeah, I'm curious what to what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess we will get to that. We have a big show today, but I want to also acknowledge my other son, Dustin Furman, uh, executive producer of Last Stand. How are you today, Dustin? Welcome back to The Fold. Now, you were here for our last episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, so those right. on Patreon have already seen you, but for those that are freeloading and scallywagging, you were gone last week, and uh, I want to welcome you back from your bout with COVID. Thank you. Yeah. How do you feel? 
I'm feeling pretty good, uh, pretty much recovered. It's like there's still like a little bit hanging on here and there. Like I still have this stupid, annoying cough where it's just like a little tickle right in the back of your throat. that will just like explode every once in a while. So that's kind of annoying. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing well. Just uh, a few more days in the quarantine of my home. Uh, like I think Saturday is the day that's like the CDC recommends 10 days after your first symptom. So Saturday is the day that we can leave. So we've just been start, uh, start coughing in, in people's faces. That's right. Yeah. yeah just like Going just sneezing and spitting yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I'm picking up spitting now from now on. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm excited <laughs> to leave the house uh, just because I mean, we're kind of homebodies anyway. Not quite to the Colin Moriarty extent, no. But um, I'm I'm getting a little cooped up now at this point. Yeah, I hear you. There's almost no such thing as getting too cooped up for me, mm. especially now that I live in the suburbs and I just walk around my neighborhood with the dogs and I have a backyard and it's, I, I don't. It's not like I just stay inside. I'm like in my garage. I'm in the yard. I'm roaming about. Yeah, you have room. Let's say. You have right. room to roam. Right. I'm roving about and doing things. I, I there's always something to do. Yeah. Right. So I want people. Some people think it's like, well, Colin is. What do they call that? Hasikimori or something like that in J- Japanese. It's like the shut ins mm. and uh, like the shut in people. I'm not like that. No. Right. I'm more of like a what I would like to consider. And don't mind if I compliment myself more like a J.D. Salinger type character uh. in which I like to just be reclusive and left alone. Let's not get those things confused. Right. Let's not get those things confused. Uh, but I want to welcome everyone to our weekly PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the biggest and most beloved PlayStation podcast in the entire world. We couldn't do it without you over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. I see Dustin is having some sort of coughing fit, but... Oh, I will. Many deftly, times. Deftly muted himself. I okay. saw that. He was he was turning and <laughs> muting and covering the cough. It was quite... It's like the NBA of coughing. Yeah. Uh, what you were doing over there. I, it's a, it's, it's going to have to happen. Um, right. I'm pretty good though with the mute button. So, but if I good. explosive cough, it's gonna probably happen at least once this show. It, so just be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. But uh, yeah, welcome everyone. Patreon.com/slash/LastStandMedia. Support us over there. Early ad-free access to every episode of this show. Access to both episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus we do each week. Those are the supplemental podcasts, like interviews and spoiler casts and review discussions and grander conversations. We just did one all about PlayStation 5's first birthday. That was a really fun episode and people really like that one i just did a cana bridge of spirits spoiler cast and review discussion i did a mailbag recently i did an interview about trophies we did something about konami which was fun some cool ones coming up including an interview about games and mental health uh an interview with a person who's been gaming for like 45 years i'm really excited about that i think we really have to pick these people's brains about what it was like and and get in there so that's gonna be a really fun one we're, we got Tales of Arise spoiler cast coming out. We have a Call of Duty spoiler cast coming out. We have a Doki Doki Literature Club spoiler cast coming out. Uh, all those will be recorded soon or are recorded as of by the time you're hearing this. So lots and lots and lots and lots going on. I also want to note Grammar Nazi wrote into us and said, hello, bitches. Colin, I just wanted to say that I finally got Twin Breaker on Xbox. I'm really enjoying playing it with my fiance, my fiance, and I'm surprised by how much I suck at it. The only negative thing I have to say about it so far is that it doesn't work with the quick resume on Series X. The fuck, man? Stay safe and keep banging them birds. We will. We don't have native versions of the games yet, so you're playing them through backwards compatibility. We will have more about to say about our games on Series X, Series S, <laughs> PS5 soon. Every but time. I wanted to note. Uh, huh? Every time I hear what? the word fiance, I think that I have lost my yeah. fiance. Yeah, Poor exactly. Baby. 
early Seinfeld episode, funny Seinfeld episode. And I agree. It's just one of those things that always strikes me as well. So I can never use, if I ever get engaged, I'm sure I will. I, I can never use yeah. that word. I have to figure some other synonym out. But I wanted to acknowledge what Grammar Nazi was saying, because in fact, the games that I've worked on, the studio that I co-own, our games are all on sale right now on PS4, PS5, Xbox, etc. Uh, so that's Twin Breaker. That's Habroxia 1, Habroxia 2. I think Perils of Baking is going to be in there soon, although we're going to have a lot to say about Perils of Baking soon because uh, we've done a lot to Perils of Baking. <laughs> and by a lot, I mean we've basically completely remade it. So I'm really excited to show everyone that that's the very first game. I didn't actually work on that game. I worked on this new one. And I'll take all the credit for it. Yeah. But I didn't do anything. Why not? I also, guys, I know I'm talking a lot right now, but before we get into everything, I also wanted to just say one other thing is that I am now... so. I want to just lay it all on the table when there's any conflicts of interest or anything like that. Mm-hmm. As people know that I've listened to the show when it, it comes up once in a while, I own Microsoft stock, for instance. So I like to note that. But I, we don't have any dealings with PR, marketing, anything like that. We don't do what's called endemic advertising and so on and so forth. So there is really no conflicts there. But I own all of Last Stand, obviously, and I own 49% of Lilymo, the game developer. And now I've joined as a consultant, a company called Marketplace, uh, that's P-L-A-Y-Z out of Israel, just as a consultant um, in return for options in the company. And this company, I don't think is going to create any conflicts of interest for us here, but I am being leveraged in that company as a consultant for my expertise in games. And the basic platform, it's really a cool idea, actually, and I don't want to get too far into it right now. But the idea is basically that there's a marketplace where creators and uh, marketers or publishers, developers can meet marketplace where they can more readily identify exactly the right creator, exactly the right campaign, exactly the right game or whatever for a certain creator to leverage the most amount of views or downloads or whatever. And this is a really essential thing. And one of the reasons why we don't do endemic advertising is because people make fun of it, right? Like think about when there's, what was that? Shadow Legends or Raid Shadow Legends. Yeah. Right. Like that is the exact opposite of what we want to do right with the, with this company or what I'm what I'm advising them to do with this company. And so that's the idea is to say, like, what brand makes sense with what game makes what sense with, you know, what campaign and all of that. And I'm just kind of helping them behind the scenes. So you can find out more at marketplays with a Z dot IO if you want. And uh, yeah, it'll come up when it's necessary. I don't think this is going to create a conflict of interest, but that's up for you to decide, yeah. I guess. I Transparency is key, you know. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Let's get into some things we need to discuss. I want to start at the top. Let's loosen up and walk around a little bit. Stretch, mm. as it were. Bobby Burke wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can, by supporting us over there. Patreon.com slash Media. He says, hello, sacred boys. Favorite Thanksgiving dish? Chris. Oh, man. I'm a big fan of the ham, man. The, the glazed mm. ham. Mm. I, I, I don't. I got to be real. I don't like turkey, really. Like, I, I find turkey to be a very underwhelming meal especially for a bird because i feel like birds are pretty delicious like a duck is like savory and like amazing and like yeah, chicken like is so that. chicken's so malleable you can make it like anything out of it and then you have turkey and it's just like it's, it's just bland chicken that makes you sleep yeah you know? it's, so true. It's, it's true have i i don't let me ask you this because hmm. i think the internet has obviously connected us so well these last few decades yeah, I feel like I'm encountering so many people that don't like turkey, like it's generationally pent up amongst <laughs> Americans where I think a lot of people have something to say about it because you're right. 
I like boar's head turkey products, like cold cut turkey products. Yeah. But I will never prefer to eat a turkey when I can have a ham or a chicken or beef. Totally. Or po- pork. I, anything. Not fish, of course. Terrestrial animals, let's say. <laughs> Terrestrial. Yeah. So <laughs> I like your answer of ham. I mean, how do you, where, are you, where are you on the sides? Do you like mashed potatoes? I, I got to be real. This is a, probably a controversial opinion. Mashed potatoes are fine, but I feel like every time I have mashed potatoes, I feel like I'm eating fries that have been pre-digested, and I can't get that image out of my head when I have mashed potatoes, but like everybody likes mashed potatoes, so everybody makes them, so like I'll eat it and I'll be like, mmm, these are some damn fine mashed potatoes, even though how can you make bad mashed potatoes? You literally just mash a potato. It's not like a, it's not a particularly hard dish to make. Be a little more to it than that. But. I don't yeah, generally, generally speaking, I, here's what I think about mashed potatoes. First of all, they don't reconstitute, so you have to eat them when they're ready to go. Yeah. I feel like they just you can't do anything with them after an hour or two. Yeah, but th- there is such a gamut of mashed potatoes. Like I've had some mashed potatoes that are out of this world. Black pepper mashed potatoes with bacon and onion in them, or whatever. It's you can do something, and then I've had mashed potatoes that you would imagine they were eating in the trenches. Of World War One, <laughs> right, right, in their little rat and their ration cases, like horrible biscuit type mashed potato. So, I like mashed potatoes. I like yams. I think yams are pretty good. Yeah, green beans are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's time to kind of change the Thanksgiving tradition. We don't know. even really knows what the hell Thanksgiving is about anymore. Has we've lost sight of the history of it. We've lost sight of the meaning. We all hate each other anyway in this country. What are we giving thanks for? So, mm-hmm. so we can gather around and crumble turkey into our mouths because that's what happens when you try to cut the turkey it crumbles does it not <laughs> maybe in your house yeah i don't know i don't know about that <laughs> i've never sounds seen like turkey. you got some pent up uh I- i've never seen a turkey <laughs> the white turkey white meat you don't know what i'm talking about with turkey white meat I- I where know, it's on that borderline I- just like pork I- you know I-, I think i know what you're saying but at the same time like i'm imagining like a like a drake's coffee cake yeah yeah not quite like that here's my thing about turkey is i look at this bird and I'm like, have you ever had a drink of water in your fucking life when I'm looking, <laughs> when I'm eating it? Like, did anyone ever feed you water? Why are you so dry? Because a chicken's not dry. I feel like a chicken is pecking at water, drinking its water. You can make, I've had dry chicken before. I, I think it's just a matter of how you prepare it. Although I will say turkey is harder to, turkey's just harder to prepare, I feel like. It, it's harder to make a good turkey than it is to make a good chicken. Because a turkey's so oh, big definitely. and it's it's kind of like it's like this weird mix of like it's like just on the edge of like a really dense meat, but also like kind of not. It's like a very strange thing. You got to like baste it. You got to shove a bunch of nonsense into it, like real violently to make sure it like yeah, retains. It's, it's, it's I don't fucked. Know. It's a I've never I've never cooked a turkey. I've, I've cooked. I'm a, I like cooking. I'm, I'm pretty good. But I turkeys are too intimidating. For They're me. not that and bad. You're right. You're pulling things in. You're shoving things in there. You're pulling shit out of it. It's yeah. 40 pounds. I'm like, what the fuck do you want me to do with this thing? It's like a fucking so, jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin, what are your thoughts? I'm, uh, Colin, I'm, I'm just, uh, I don't know. You, Whose turkey are you eating consistently for your, what sounds like your whole life that you're, you're having a lot of dry turkey experiences? I mean. I don't know. I guess it would be, I guess it's like, I only have turkey at Thanksgiving, so it would be like my mom or my aunt or something mm. like that. But these are capable cooks. I, maybe we just don't have it in us as Italians to do it right. But now, you said a 40-pound turkey. Sorry. That's going to be... No, I'm, just, I'm, be, okay. I'm being facetious. I'm being All facetious. Right. I don't know if you can even have a 40-pound turkey. But the that was a facetious number, no sure. doubt. But sure. I've often recommended in my family to some 
a little bit of consternation, but some acceptance that I'm like, why don't we just lean into who we are on Thanksgiving and just go nuts with the Italian food? Right. Why are we doing all of this? I, I, yeah, I feel similarly where like, I'm like, why not? Let's just have like a big, like Spanish, like, why, why do we have to do the turkey? Mm. Like like, me and my friends actually had a tradition in LA where we would have chickens giving. We would all make a bunch of different chicken dishes because we all didn't like turkey. So we just made like, I would make my wings, like friend of mine would make these like really amazing like spicy tenders like a friend of us another friend would make like a roast like proper chicken and just like all this other stuff like just like obviously the sides the stuffing the you know the macaroni and cheese and like all this a bunch of different shit because like nobody is nobody first of all nobody wants to cook the turkey because it's such a big intimidating task takes ages takes a really long time to cook a turkey well like the whole day shot if you're cooking a turkey definitely and second like nobody really likes it as much as they like anything else you know like that's exactly right that's exactly right i I don't know that's our tradition anyway i don't know well i i i because i would love just plates of baked ziti plates of sausage and meatballs plates of just give me just you know lasagna like let's go fucking nuts let's go nuts dustin you have something to say i'm just i don't know you guys uh i've been making the turkey for my family now for probably about five years maybe i'm an i'm an experienced turkey cooker at this point you're a turkist it is i'm a it is intimidating no doubt like um just because it's like man this is gonna take me four and a half hours and if i fuck it up everyone knows it's my fault but i think i don't know i don't feel like it's necessarily as as difficult as one might think i mean you can make it difficult as with anything like you can do all kinds of crazy stuff but um i don't know i i i have to to just you know maybe push back a little bit defend i like turkey specifically in the context of the thanksgiving meal and that's why the quite to to go back to the question with bobby is the, the favorite dish i don't know if any individual item of the thanksgiving meal is like crazy good it's about having them in the context together now if you're one of those hooligans that puts everything on your plate and mixes it together like some kind of barbarian get the fuck out don't do that we we can't have any of that <laughs> yeah like, but you a, know, like, like a if green, you're okay. <laughs> like a green witch like hovering over a cauldron yeah, just like yeah. stirring a bunch of nonsense together yeah exactly I, there's <laughs> people that do smoke. that but you know if you're having a little turkey maybe you you know get a little mashed potatoes on there the gravy you know it's, it's this entire well just symphony of flavors we'll say coming together um that i appreciate but i also think that no one should have to conform to the norms of having turkey if you don't want it do whatever the fuck you want you know have lasagna that sounds great oh man that does sound good because i do like i remember as a kid i don't feel like we do it anymore maybe there's just not that many of us anymore but i remember having the option of ham and turkey Mm -hmm. so this wasn't this wasn't a point of, of i remember even putting the little cloves in the ham for my grandma and stuff like that. I have a memory of doing that but we've abandoned the ham I don't know what, what's going on with that but we'll have well I'll report back we're having Thanksgiving for some reason my mom thinks she can fit 25 people in her house for Thanksgiving and uh holy shit we're gonna find out how impossible that is uh, on Thanksgiving it's gonna be great all right Nick's wrote in I want to clarify something or she wanted to re- clarify something she says hey CDC to clear some up some confusion about terminology I figured I would write in again crematory and crematorium are synonymous and can be used interchangeably. Ah. We were talking about this last week. 
It would be the choice of the business which term they would like to use. Colin, I will keep your wishes in mind if I am your funeral director at the time of your passing. Please share your wishes with your two lovely sons since they might need to sign the authorization form for cremation. Depends on state law. Will do. Everyone in my family has explicit instructions, especially after I just saw Kill Bill Volume 2 for the first time. <laughs> Definitely cremate me. Yeah. Definitely cremate me. Even if you think I might be alive, it's better to be safe than so. Like if there's like Collins in a vegetative stage, just at that point, just do it. Just burn me alive and be done with it. I'd rather just die quickly. In the hospital. Who is texting me? God. All right. Let's see what's going on here. <laughs> that was an awesome reaction. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Kurt Lewin wrote in, said, yo, CCD, I need your advice in the world of love. Let's help Kurt. Hmm. Without going into details as to why, other than mental health issues, through my teens and early 20s, I've never had a girlfriend. That's not, I don't think that uncommon. But now I'm in a bed. I mean, it wasn't, it was, I had a girlfriend. You know, yeah. but you didn't. I'm sorry. That's, but now I'm in a better place and have been dating a girl. We've been on three dates and they've all been tremendous. I feel as though we both want to move in for a kiss. But if I'm honest, I'm way too nervous to make the first move for fear of rejection or her thinking it's too early. And furthermore, I would have no idea how to kiss as silly as that sounds as I've never done it. Should I talk to her first about my past and lack of any kind of girlfriend experience or keep quiet and just hope things work out naturally? Uh, how yeah, is, to say. Okay, so how has this not already come up on three dates? Like, what are, what are you talking about? If not your past or mm. just like things you've done or like, right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like this is a little confusing to me. Mm. I would imagine this yeah, would have been broached already. She, you're right. In the sense that what does she think? She's not inquiring. That's a bad sign. You know, first of all, so keep pay attention to that. The person's not curious enough. Maybe she but, doesn't have experience either. Th that's what I was going to say. This could be a, this could be a blind leading the blind situation. Oh, mm. D Dustin, what do, what do you think Kurt should do here? The thing that I always think of, and I don't, I mean, I'm not making this political or whatever in any way, but I don't know how dating works now. Like, I feel like you got to be concerned as a guy, like you don't want to go in for a kiss if that's not wanted at the time. And I'm saying that's fair, right? But um, I feel like he needs to keep it natural. Don't try to overthink it. If you start overthinking, then you're going to start to like uh, plan out things and be very awkward about it i feel like a lot of these things should just come naturally you know it's uh saying you'll know when the time is right and usually i've found that to be the case yeah or just like honest dude just ask sure like from what i've from what i've heard it's like not that weird of a thing it's like i think i think most people most women that i've spoken to appreciate that if somebody's like hey like can we do this or whatever you know like it's not like a problem like right. most people, and if it, yeah, it's, I don't know, three that's dates good, that, that, that are tremendous, you know, I, I don't think you have much to worry about. I don't know what a tremendous date looks like. I don't think I've ever had a date that's tremendous. Like they've gone well, <laughs> but like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like in, maybe if I did like zero gravity or something, like something right. like crazy, like we went up in a plane, and I was like, oh, I'm flying. And like, what a, <laughs> what a crazy sensation. Like, that's, that, was that's like the, that was a tremendous date. Yeah. That's probably the only circumstance that I could use. But like, I mean, God bless you. If you, if you got some tremendous dates going on. Yeah. Good for you, Kurt. Go get it. I, yeah. I think caution is fine. Trepidation, I think is fine. You, you, you know, figure out every situation, every, every person as an individual. I think, it's better to go too far in one direction than in the other. I think the guys are right, right? Like better to be too cautious than 
definitely creepy or overt because oh for sure but yeah. but also women in my experience they, they want the guy to make the first move they wait for that so yeah. you have to you have to read the situation there too but i don't think communi- there's anything wrong with communication I, and I, yeah, I, I totally get that it's weird to be like, can I kiss you? Because it sounds like a fucking seventh grade thing to say, <laughs> you know, like it's like, oh, can I? I have I have said that. Yeah, but I, and yeah. yeah, and the answer is yes. And it's always fine. But like, it is a weird thing to say, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like a weird like, oh, can I go to the bathroom? You know, like, yeah. it's, 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 it's <laughs> something really whiny about it. <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right. What else here? Oh, one more thing. Sweet Chuck wrote in and said. Hey, guys, just wanted to say, Colin, I think you did the right thing by bailing out of Twitter almost completely. It's a bunch of people spewing their thoughts, wanting to be heard and completely unwilling to listen to anything that differs from their view. It also doesn't function well for a place of discussion. I've decided to cleanse my follows to make an information feed only. Keep up the good work, boys, and keep on keeping on. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear I'm encouraging more people to try this. And I'm, I'm, I upped the game a couple days ago, boys. Step one, I went online and I bought an actual digital alarm clock. Step two, when the alarm clock came, is that I left, my, started leaving my phone downstairs so that there would be no excuse for me to ever look at it. And the last two nights, I've just gone upstairs and been with, you know, I, I watched, I watched like some jazz videos on YouTube last night and read a book and like just hung out. And so I'm trying to disconnect. I really want to encourage everyone to continue to do it. I don't know. It, it, it's surprising how second nature many of these things are. And I think it's scary. Like, it's scary that I have this need in my own life to be like, I need to know what's going on or what what's happening or whatever. And I just got to cut that out of my life for yeah. half the day. So highly recommended. Glad that it's rubbing off on you, sweet Chuck. I always love rubbing off on people. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about uh, the Game Awards. And actually, we have a letter here from Alex Castellanos, who dares be pedantic and says, Colin and crew, if I may, you all keep referring to the Game Awards as the VGAs. The VGA moniker comes from the Spike Video Game Awards, which no longer exists as of 2013. He moved on, Jeff Gilly moved on to create the Game Awards, which is now referred to as the TGAs. I thought you should know. 
Um, so here's the thing. I've never heard the video game awards called the TGAs, and I've I've regularly heard them still call the VGAs. But yeah, I mean, fair enough. I, I I don't I I agree that we're not calling them the right name. But I think Alex, that maybe you're being a little pedantic yeah, as well. I I'm not going to call it the the game awards because that's what the TGAs mean. That's what, like if you say that, that's what you're saying. Oh, I can't wait for the the game awards. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about these uh these nominations dustin talk to me about about these nominations we have this is what they nominate for game of the year by the way death loop it takes two metroid dread psychonauts 2 ratchet and clank rift apart and resident evil village i find this list to be both somewhat fair and i think emblematic of the relatively weak year we've experienced in my opinion what do you make of it i think people need to chill out a little bit on the game awards because don't get me wrong i appreciate having a celebration event for the industry that's cool having all the announcements is cool the performances great in the end though these awards don't really mean anything just like the oscars uh they don't mean anything really uh so if you know, Forza Horizon wasn't nominated. It's okay. Yeah, people are incensed <laughs> by that, but I, I could have told you why that was just from my own experience. It's just re- it was released too late. Right. Like, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, I, I just think racing games don't typically aren't normally considered because I think Forza Horizon is isn't it is it not like under one of the categories for this? I'm pretty sure it is. I saw it under racing or something. Yeah, right. it might be, but the but they might have. So I used to vote on game on the game awards. So the way the TGAs. So the way that it, the the TGAs, RIP in peace, no one calls them that, by the way. I have to just reiterate that. So I feel like I can give a little bit of insight into this. As I remember, there, there were two phases, obviously, the nomination phase and then the voting phase. And we would just, there was like a Google Doc that we went into and just added things to it as we were. And then I think they were like auto lined up and stuff, such like that. And as I recall, they lock in game of the year earliest and then everything else comes later. So I think that might be why Forza made it in. And I can speak for that from experience because I notably said at IGN, we had to cut our game of, game of the year off at a certain point where Far Cry 3 in 2012 wasn't included, even though that was very clearly one of the best games of that year. That was just a calendar issue. And that's why everyone likes getting their games out as early as possible, usually by the beginning of November. So that was one issue I think that should be talked about. But I think the other issue is just because people are curious about how the voting is. I just don't think it's that serious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I'm not trying to disrespect it. I like Jeff Keighley. He's always been nice to me. I think he's a good guy. He tries. I think he celebrates the industry better than anyone. But when I was voting, I wasn't actually putting much thought into it. I, I was putting 25 times much more, more thought into my own game of the year stuff for at that time, kind of funny or IGN and now with us. So I wouldn't take it very serious personally yeah it, uh, maybe some maybe some people take it more seriously than we did but i can tell tell you none of us took it very seriously yeah it's just a fun little thing that uh like if, if you see like a game that's not expected to win and or like you see like some of these moments where like indie devs get like a lot of attention it's like it's just like a nice kind of celebration thing it's more of a party you know than than a, a, a prestigious kind of thing you know i agree i was i was a little surprised to see death loot represented so much yeah. that game just didn't didn't speak to me but again i think that's just and no Returnal. I think some people were upset about that. I, I was a little surprised, actually, Dustin, to see Ratchet in the list. I, that was the one game that stuck out to me where I'm, I was singing to myself, really? Ratchet? I, 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 it was fun. It's a, great, it's a great game. But again, another sign, I think, of this relatively weak year. I, I think 
based on where things are going for me right now, people are going to be so mad at my games of the year. I just, I can feel it. Like the games <laughs> that I'm liking the most this year, I just know are going to drive people insane, but it is what it is. Yeah. What did you make of anything? Anything stick out to you? Uh, I don't know. I, I think you're right in that it's indicative of the year being kind of uh, bland. I mean, it, I wouldn't even say it was a bland year. It's partially that I think that it was kind of underwhelming. That may not be true for you, right? Like, you may have like six games you absolutely love this year and it was a banger year. That's fine. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just don't get excited about this anymore. Um, and I think it was when I figured out like the list of the jurors, which I'm not disrespecting all of them because there's some that I think are very respectable and deserve to be on there. There's others that I don't think have any business uh, voting in a prestige award ceremony like this. Yeah, these aren't the Dice Awards or something like that. Th right. Those awards are much more serious, or BAFTAs, obviously, are yeah. much more yeah. serious. This is... The Academy is questionable. <laughs> I totally agree. And I'm saying that as someone who is in the Academy. Like, it's questionable. Should I have been Very there? Probably. I mean, probably. I should probably have been there. I know a lot about games. I've been in the game industry a long time, but no one ever really instructed us. I know people that had Academy Award voting and, and Emmy Award voting rights and the amount of time and attention they would get just to make sure that they were catching things like that's where all these DVDs and Blu-ray bootlegs come from is from those early. I worked with someone at IGN that used to get that stuff. Uh, Andrew Goldfarb was in SAG-AFTRA. He would get all this random shit and there's just no attention really paid to that because it's much more marketing on our side. So I think mm -hmm. we need more time to, to level it out. What I really would prefer is if Jeff Kelly just did a, a year end show to celebrate games and do the announcements because that's all I care about. And I'm going to be tuning out on everything else. But we'll, by the way, that's perfect because it's a Thursday night. So we're going to record Sacred Symbols and then we'll record another like interstitial for it for the VGAs and put them in and have a nice one big, long, timely episode for yeah. all of you. What is, when is the, that's on December 8th or something or 9th? No, the 9th. Yeah, December 9th. All right. So we'll have more on that soon. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, a uh, quick correction here. Uh, Jonathan Haffel, Haffel, I don't know how to say it. So correction, Colin, on the last Sacred Symbols episode, you said nothing really bad happened in 2012. May I remind you that on November 18th, 2012, the Wii U launched in North America. Thank you. Love the show. That's a good point. Thank you for writing it about that. Pretty I bad. also wanted to note uh, PAX East dates are announced. The, or the original dates are not true. PAX East returns to Boston April 21st to 24th. So if you can, if you want to see... If you want to support a uh, a show by run by really bad people, go enjoy PAX East. Will Selfridge wrote in and said, hey, boys, I know it's a PlayStation show, but I feel like you should briefly talk about Halo Infinite surprise launch this week. With nothing but mostly positive vibes and engagement, does this make Sony's multiplayer drought even worse? Can something like factions compete if Halo is at full force? Is it even worth it to try to make a dominant multiplayer game at this point? Like, would Sony just be better off staying on its single player course and get the multiplayer games from third party exclusives and deals? Would love to hear a PS centric breakdown. Cheers. So. I was going through originally in, in our document, it said Xbox is all the rage right now or something. I wrote just something as a placeholder. And then we actually got a letter from Will that kind of encapsulates it. And I wanted to use it. Mm -hmm. This is no doubt one of the best times for Xbox I remember ever. And I've been in the industry actually pretty much the entire time that that brand has existed. So I feel like there were really dominant times for it. I think 2005 to 2007 or 2008 was one of those times. And I think this is another coming out party not only with halo but with forza as well game pass dominating getting some um some quality third-party games 
Chris, I, I'm you know, we got to jump to you. You're a Halo super fan. I mean, what do you think about everything that's going on over there right now? What do you think about the surprise launch? I thought that was a really cool idea. It leaked, which was disappointing, but not a huge surprise. Yeah. What do you make of all of this? I, I mean, I thought I thought it was cool. Like I did, I did not want to believe it because I, <laughs> I didn't want to be disappointed if it didn't happen. So I was like firmly like, this is not going to happen. The universe would not be this kind to me. Uh, but it happened, and and they did it on the 20th anniversary. It was like very timely, very special, very cool. Uh, I also thought it was like a really strategic move on their part just to get in while Call of Duty is kind of floundering a little bit while Battlefield has some, you know, negative attention going towards it. Let's get this free to play multiplayer out while that's happening. So we look really good in comparison. And I thought it was like, I don't think that's necessarily the reason they did it, because I it, I have a sneaking suspicion that they wanted to get the multiplayer out. Even I, I feel like November 15th was the original release date. And then, like, they needed a couple weeks extra to polish the campaign. So I don't actually think it was, like, entirely motivated by Battlefield, but I do think it was a smart happenstance, nevertheless. And, yeah, it's doing really well. Like, all my friends are playing it. My entire friends list right now is on it, which I can't remember the last time that's happened. Probably, like, 2007 with Halo 3 was the last time I saw, like, a Halo game this ubiquitous in my, uh, in my circle. And it's cool. Like, there's some issues with it. I just I just tweeted, like, a huge mega thread of of like criticisms earlier just before we we started recording this and it's all really surface level stuff that could easily easily just be patched in it's not like a core design problem which is so nice to say and i do think they're at, at a position where they're they're running in a really i don't know like at all cylinders it feels like uh, and with campaign a couple weeks away, I think it's like a really good time for Xbox. And, you know, whether or not Sony, I, I feel like Sony, like right now it feels kind of empty regardless. Like even if Halo didn't come out, like the Sony side would feel empty because we haven't had a game this quarter, really. You know, so obviously things are going to look weird. But as far as the multiplayer goes on Sony side... I don't know. I, I think you want to give Sony time to make good multiplayer. I, I, don't think, I don't think you want to give them like an opportunity to be like, hey, Halo's out, so we should uh, just force something out. Like I know Factions is on its way, and that'll probably be very good. And I understand the sentiment of like, oh, maybe we want to have, maybe we want to just stick with single player because that's our wheelhouse. But that's safe and boring. And I don't know if you want a safe and boring Sony because that's kind of the Sony we've been kind of complaining about for the last couple of years it's just like the same type of game it's all really good games but it would, be, it would be nice to see them branch out and i don't think the success of halo indicates that they shouldn't if anything i think it's evidence that they should try because they have a lot of talent and it would be a waste to it would be a shame to not have that talent put to use in an arena that's worth competing in what do you make of all this dustin i know you've been checking it out too and and interested in it i was really pleased for everyone on the xbox side because this is this is like the time they've been waiting for no offense this is just yeah i don't remember ever caring especially in a holiday season about xbox since the xbox 360 it's it's been a long time and a long time coming so this is uh, almost like the culmination of of a lot of effort and i know that halo's development has been tortured and i know that maybe there are problems with game pass and all of the rest but there's no doubt that things are just vibing for them right now. Yeah, definitely. I think that the surprise launch was really, really exciting. Just because I know 
think of all of the the people, either the college students or high school kids or whatever, that are now going to have a new Halo multiplayer to play over Thanksgiving break. That's awesome. That's super exciting. And uh, it's really fun, too. Like, it's just uh, positive all around. There's, like, the only big negative thing is people are annoyed at the battle pass. Uh, and if that's the biggest thing right now, then that's, like, pretty good. The fact that their servers have held good for this massive surprise launch um, has been really great for them. And as far as Sony getting in the ring with a an FPS game, I think they eventually will just because we've seen them invest heavily in esports. I'm just thinking it's not going to be in the vein of like a Halo or COD. It'll be more like Rainbow Six Siege, which is something we've talked about how they've they've hired people from that team. It seems like they're working on something like that from Gorilla. And I think that that's kind of Sony's primary angle is just the esports aspect since they probably see huge dollar signs uh, with how other companies have been handling that. What I was most interested in about Halo's launch particularly was its performance on Steam. Yeah. And it's there where I think it almost got to 300,000 concurrence, which is huge. I mean, that's crazy. That's many more copies than now I know it's free to play. But just to put it in reference, that's many, many more copies than 99.9% .9 of games will ever, 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 ever sell. So that's just a lot of people checking out your product that are interested and willing mm -hmm. and that are not necessarily on your hardware. One thing that I hadn't been seen reported, and I want to present both sides of things. I mean, I think we have to do that, mm -hmm. is the story from gamesindustry.biz. And so there's a data analyst firm called Ampere that suggested that Xbox Series X and S are actually getting outsold substantially by PS5, maybe to the tune of almost two to one. And they have Xbox Series X and S sales at 6.7 million sold at and at the end of September, PS5, 12.8 million. That's almost two to one mm -hmm. if those numbers are true. And I think that Microsoft has been very cagey and weird about announcing numbers because they think they know that. And this Ampere data also suggests that more people are buying Series S and that it might be the actually the more popular console. And this might hobble Xbox in the future to get people moving forward on their games. In other words, it might have made some sort of weird interstitial, interstitial pro-like step that they're now going to be tethered to even this generation just to get consoles out. So as good as the games are doing, it still seems like the hardware is either they're selling everything that they can make, but they're not getting enough out the door and that people might be interested in the lower, lower common denominator, which I found totally fascinating. But it seems like with Halo and with Forza that these are very fine games that are leading the way. And, and I read an interesting interview with Phil Spencer where he was saying, and they were talking again about Game Pass, and again, he avoids the P word profit, right? He just won't say it. He has a fiduciary obligation to speak honestly. And we all know that Game Pass is not profitable, but he keeps saying that it's sustainable. And the more they use that S word sustainable, the more that I feel like they've set themselves up for a little bit of inertial benefit. Game Pass is just kind of moving now. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. We don't, they're not going to say it's profitable because it's, it's not. But mm -hmm. sustainable means eyeballs. Sustainable means attention. We've said many times on the show in the past that people and Nintendo made a huge mistake with this with the Wii even and the DS was and even the 3DS, which was people start getting involved in an ecosystem and then they feel trapped in it. And maybe you don't want to feel trapped in it, but you are like your trophies and your achievements and your games and your friends and 
leaderboards and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm paying attention to this too, because I feel like there's still some sort of serious brand loyalty, let's say to PlayStation right now, and that the games are still not here. So I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. I'm very pleased to see Microsoft doing well because I think it just raises all boats. And obviously Nintendo is dominating. So this is a very strong time for games. Yeah. I just wish that the overall game releases were a little better this year. But of course, we we can't get everything. 2022 is going to be out of control. We'll talk more about this stuff a little later. I wanted to just bring up Activision. A lot of stuff going on with Activision recently, Mm -hmm. particularly around a Wall Street Journal article that was released that points to knowledge within the company to the highest levels, Bobby Kotick, CEO and 25% owner of the company still is being implicated and accused of kind of knowing about some sexual assault and sexual impropriety cases that he's swept under the rug, including people that were instrumental on Call of Duty and others to kind of keep the machine moving, some out-of-court settlements, which don't necessarily implicate guilt, but usually do, and some other stuff. And, and one of the most interesting things I was reading was from Jen O'Neill, who ran Vicarious Visions for many years, where she bounced, or she is bouncing. She's staying through the end of the year, but very openly saying, they, I experienced sexual harassment here. They didn't pay me fairly. I'm running Blizzard now, and I don't make the same amount of money as the person I'm running Blizzard with, etc. So there's just a lot going on. And I think the... The biggest thing here is, uh, well, there are two things. Number one, the board of Activision doesn't seem like they're going to act. And that's got people up in arms. And the second thing is, is that there is a public group within the company of employees that are asking for his immediate resignation, people organizing walkouts and other employee actions. And also, Sony has responded with an internal email from Jim Ryan, noting that they're kind of shocked. We'll see how shocked they are. I think that this is a big deal for Sony, maybe a bigger deal than people think. They're very closely aligned with Activision, specifically with the, the marketing and the nature of Call of Duty. And, and, and as Call of Duty goes every fall for the last few years, so too, so too goes PS5 and PS4. We're going to talk about Call of Duty in a little while, but mm-hmm. no matter how it performs, it's still going to be the biggest game of the year. And it means something. So Dustin, let's start with you. I, by the way, I want to say one other thing is that I don't have very deep thoughts on this right now because I don't feel like I'm educated enough on it yet. And we're doing a Sacred Symbols Plus episode that will go live soon with Rick Hogue, the lawyer, where we can get into this in a substantive way. So I'm going to reserve most of my thoughts for that conversation. I guess my big question or what's most interesting to me right now is Jim Ryan's email where he really slammed Activision in a lot of ways. I wonder what does Sony actually do or do they do anything at all? Is it just good marketing for them to have a headline where it's like, Jim Ryan slams Bobby Kotick over uh, sexual conduct allegations, whatever. That looks great. It makes people think, yeah, Sony, they're, they're caring about this situation. But in the end, if they're not doing anything as far as their relationship with Activision, then it really means nothing colin do you think that this will change like their business relationship in any kind of substantial way i don't know i was thinking about what kind of pressure sony can really exert on the situation and my answer is is substantial pressure 
but probably not substantial enough pressure to get them to change internally. And I think that maybe Activision would hit back and say, like, we're not telling you how to run your corporate structure. Don't come into our business. Now, I don't want to compare the two companies culturally. So I know many, many, many people that have worked at and still work at Sony. And it is, by most accounts, an excellent place to work. So I'm not saying that the corporate structures and, the, and everything are the same. They're not. But I think that maybe corporations should just worry about themselves. And then you can worry about the end result, which is your work with them. I wonder if there's some out of this contract, this years-long contract they have. There usually is some sort of out, and Hold can speak to this more, but there typically is some sort of out for like morality in a lot of these things. And issues that uh, issues where you know, someone cheats on their wife or there's some fiduciary fumbling of the ball or something like that. There's a lot of stuff in there. You know, you're mm-hmm. caught with a prostitute or whatever the case might be. It's like, no, we're done. It doesn't matter what the contract says. And I wonder if that meets the standard. But my assumption is that it doesn't because none of this is legally charged, at least as of yet. And again, the board seems to be sticking with him, saying that one big sticking point was that he's apparently threatened to kill a woman in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we all I don't know like what the what that was all about. But apparently he like apologized and paid a settlement for that 15 years ago. Is it relevant? Maybe there's a lot here. I I just don't want to get ahead of my skis. But Dustin, to answer your question more succinctly. And I I think I read this somewhere else, so I don't want to take it as an original thought, but Sony did a pretty big thing when they removed Cyberpunk from the store. They, yeah. That was not that was no laughing matter. And I'm sure that that strained their relationship with a very big entity in CD Projekt. This might not be the same because people really love Call of Duty. And I also assume that most people that play Call of Duty don't care and don't know. No, for sure. And yeah, yeah, that's going to be another big thing. But is it going to all play into a an undoing of Kodak and stuff? And I don't know. I think I think the big thing here is to get the the employees have to get leverage over the board and then and then go from there. But remember, Bobby Kotick owns a quarter of Activision. That's not that's a serious amount of a big corporation. Even if you you can't remove it, you can't. I don't. Well, maybe you can force him to sell them. But if you force him out, you're just going to make the hundred millionaire a billionaire. And yeah, not really. That doesn't, that doesn't really hurt him. If no. you force him out of a company at $60 a share in which he owns 25%. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have to work. And I'm uh, <laughs> immortal, basically. And he'll probably just go do something else and start another company. So it's it's remember, he didn't found Activision. David Crane and others founded Activision, but he came in and saved it. And that was a long time ago. Activision only exists because of Bobby Kotick. So you can either thank him for that or cast aspersions at him for that. But there's a much to say here. I just don't have. Much more. Chris, do you have any more that you want to add before we move on? I, I mean, I, I would say that I don't, I don't think Sony's really going to do anything about it. You know, I, I do think Jim Ryan's statement is a bit of a paper tiger. You know, like it's 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 like, you know, like, yeah, we're really man. That's a pretty bad guy. That that guy. But like Call of Duty is still going to be you're still going to be able to play Call of Duty on play. You know what I mean? Like, there's not going to be any real um, tangible consequences for any of this on PlayStation or, or anywhere else because it's Call of Duty. Let me see here about... And by the way, again, Rick Hogue, Sacred Symbols Plus. Hope. We'll have more to say. I want to hear more about your thoughts on this particular situation. I'm reading a Video Game Chronicle story written by Tom Ivan. says, Take-Two CEO says the GTA series can last as long as James Bond. And so apparently... As transcribed by the website, Strauss Zelnick, who I think is who is the CEO of Take Two, and I think maybe the smartest executive 
in the industry. He says, quote, if it's really, really great, it will keep going. I don't know if you just saw it. I just saw the new Bond film. That was great. And you like every franchise to be James Bond. There are precious few entertainment franchises of any sort that fall into that category, but they do exist. And I think GTA is one of them. I think Red Dead is one of them. NBA is obviously one of them um, and will continue to exist. It also requires you to be thoughtful and willing to rest a little so that you have a title, a sense of, sorry, wow, this is a rare event. I've always said that annualizing non-sports titles runs the risk of burning out intellectual property, even if it's good. So we take the time to make something that we think is incredibly phenomenal. And we also rest titles intentionally so that there's pent up demand for that title. So it's a special event. I go and see a Bond film because there isn't another one in two months. I'm going to see every Bond film, end quote. That was interesting. It's a very bold statement. And uh, to compare your product to something like James Bond, which is 70 years old and still relevant today. Chris, what do you think about that? That comparison between Take Two's kind of more boutique-ish approach with some of their products. I mean, he brings up NBA, which I think is weird because NBA is annualized. If he really cared about this, then he would make the NBA series, which is renowned, into a platform. But on the other side, Take Two pulled the plug on that WWE game because it wasn't good enough. So they they don't release things that are not good enough either. And I I do think that he has something here. And I think Red Dead. What? What? I'm sorry. Well, Chris and I I are having the same reaction. Like, (laughs) so so. I, I don't think he's wrong. I, I think there is value to things when they're... I, I think things are a little bit more prestigious when they're not annualized. Like, it, it's the reason why I prefer games like Battlefield and Halo to Call of Duty. Because it's like, you know, you can only have so much so frequently before it gets repetitive and old. And the fact that we haven't had a, a Battlefield game in, in a while. We haven't had a Halo game in six years. It's a, it's a, it's a big event that's happening right now. So I understand what he's saying, and I do think GTA is one of those series that I could see lasting decades, because it really, there's no, like, main character of Grand Theft Auto. It's really all about satirization of the current climate. It's really all about just, like, taking what is our lives and kind of making it so extreme that we can kind of see the absurdity reflected back at us. And it's also just, like, a really fun sandbox, you know? I think it that is, like, a really powerful gameplay tool that doesn't really age but they did just recently put out Grand Theft Auto the Trilogy the Definitive Edition which is you unanimously not a, a boutique product like a really lazy we can get into it later but like my god well let's 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 get into it now we're going to skip ahead because this is one of the six questions we were going to end with but Michael Centeno wrote into us and said hey Colin the gang I like that. The GTA trilogy is finally out and has been surrounded by some negative press. Not some. I've been playing through San Andreas and other than the odd game crash here and there, it's the same game I remember playing back on the PS2 and I've been enjoying revisiting this classic. Several YouTubers and outlets have been saying the trilogy is a mess and even going far as to say it's worse than in a worse state than cyberpunk, which I find a bit of an overreaction. Are people being too critical? Curious what you guys think of this situation. Thank you, Michael, for writing in. Sorry, we're getting to your question early, but you're right, because this did happen under Take Two, and, and you're right. It, it is a little ironic for me to talk up Strauzelnik while this happened. I have questions about this entire situation, including why they felt the rush to even do it if it wasn't done right. They certainly knew it wasn't done right. And apparently this all has to do with like machine learning and AI weird shit and yeah. stuff beyond beyond my recognition. But I will say this. And this is just me because I'm not like a GTA super fan. I love those GTA games. But I'm not like up GTA 3s and Vice Cities and San Andreas. I haven't played these games in years, except for three a little bit. If people weren't pointing out screenshot by screenshot what was different, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have noticed. 
Maybe I would have been like, wow, this looks worse than I remember or this cat. But I don't remember shit but, about those games. So maybe, so to me, it's like, uh, OK, <laughs> so I, the only reason I'm going into it with like kind of with this chip on my shoulder is because people have told me that it's not the same. And I think that that's something I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I, I understand. That's fair. But I also feel like it's one of those situations where, like, if you're looking at a modern re-release of an old game and you're and you're looking at it and you're thinking it looks worse than I remember, that's insane. You know, because like usually it's, oh, this looks exactly as I remember it. And then you go back and you're like, whoa, it looked that bad. That's usually the reaction when you look when you see like remakes and remasters. This is almost the opposite where the PS2 version does genuinely just look superior. Like not in resolution, but certainly in the way it, it, it's almost like this game was made by an A.I., it's 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 like they ran it through like some machine and, and it that's what it, it. that's what happened right is that is, that is what happened right I, I, as, as I understand that's the th- I think that's what's been said although I, I have yet to see any like definitive like I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case or not do you know anything Dustin it's definitely the case for some of the way that they've like upscaled textures and stuff like that because I saw I'm trying to remember there was like a joke of either a joke or like a sign where they used AI upscaling for the sign and it totally misspelled the stuff on the sign and like ruined a joke. And then there's... Right, that's what I saw. I saw that. There's the example of the pool in the game that's supposed to be in the shape of the Rockstar logo. Well, they used AI to upscale it on the the mini-map and the star is wrong. It's like different... It has the wrong amount of points in the star because they used just this AI and it just didn't write it correctly. Look, look, there's a lot of problems with it, and it's a lot of it is just like, oh, look at how dumb this character model is. Why does CJ's girlfriend look like Tay Zunday? Like, it's just like all these, like, all these, all these very strange things. Like, everybody looks like a Gumby character. It's like the strangest shit I've ever seen. And that's a problem in and of itself when a remake, when a remake of an old game looks worse than the original. But I think the most egregious part of this whole thing is that this is a remake of three very old open world games from the early aughts that has a performance mode and a quality mode and the quality mode is unstable destiny 2 runs at 120 frames on my playstation 5 how the hell am i getting frame dips on the mobile version of grand theft auto san andreas that is absolutely insane under no circumstances should that be even remotely possible and yet it is and look i love rockstar i think red dead 2 is superb i think grand theft auto obviously has proven itself as far as its staying power and its quality and like it's the fact that it resonates so deeply that people are still willing to buy it year after year after year and it's making billions of dollars that's nothing to laugh at but at the same time that makes it all the more egregious that a company that wealthy that rich that on the ball could mess up something so simple like i understand remaking a game is a difficult task for the three of us you know like if if rockstar was like hey the sacred symbols crew is in charge of remaking the original grand theft auto trilogy bye and then we just had to deal with that responsibility and everybody coming at us that would be a problem but this is rockstar there's just no excuse and i'm not surprised to see it to see people talking about it in a way that's like Oh, it's worse than cyberpunk because in my experience, yeah, it is. 
because I had a good experience with Cyberpunk, and it ran perfectly fine for me, and at least the signs weren't misspelled, dude, everywhere. <laughs> at least the water or the uh, the rain was layered correctly on top of the water. Have you seen this, Colin? Yeah, I've, the I've rain seen all this isn't yeah. layered right. So if you're like near the ocean, the the rain goes behind bodies of water. It's it's insane. I wonder. I wonder what they're gonna do about this because aside from Take Two and all of that, we were talking yeah, about yeah. Zelnick and his and his genius. <laughs> uh, is I wonder if they're going to go full fledged and be like, we're gonna really fix this. And my mind just goes to why are you? Why was why was this half-assed to begin with? That's the thing I was a little confused about. What what got crossed here? What were you thinking yeah. about? If you're gonna re-release these games, you already did. I'm glad that I own the originals on PS2, like the PS4 digital version. Yeah, thank God. So that's fine. I, I encourage everyone to go out and buy them in case they wanted them. But I was a little soft on that encouragement because I just didn't realize it was gonna be botched like this. And mm-hmm. I think they have to make it right. I just don't know what they're going to do because the games are the games to me seem totally fucked from yeah. a core level. They they moved them over to another engine. Everything is not. I mean, Unreal Engine 4 didn't even was even close to existing when these games were out. We were talking about Unreal 2.x, I think, at that point, maybe. And so I just look at it and I'm, I, I kind of shrug. It seems like they have to do something, but I don't know what you do other than just delisting these games and and what's stopping them from just putting that mapped control scheme over the original games. I, I, that's the big thing I don't understand, and then just swap those in for I don't know, man. This is a this is an interesting one. I was waiting to talk about it until later. I don't know why I didn't connect the dots when I was putting the document together because I'm stupid. But, but <laughs> unlike the genius Strauss Zelnick, yeah. So, sorry, sorry, I jumped ahead. I just couldn't help. I, I no, 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 no. That's that's all natural. I don't know about this, though. What, what do you think, uh, Dustin? Do you think that they're going to fix this bad boy? I would hope that Rockstar, who has shown to be a company that really cares about the quality of like their perfectionist level, that they would fix it or figure something out. But then I think to myself, they let this happen. So... I feel like they have to fix it from a PR perspective. There's so many things that are just beyond it looking bad. There are things that are broken in the game, which to be fair, a lot of people have said, despite these issues, they're having a fun time playing them. That's fun. I believe that. That's a testament to the original games though, you know? Right. I don't mean to cut you off. I just, I I just feel, I feel like, uh, it's all the more what makes this more disappointing than cyberpunk to me is that cyberpunk is a new ip there was like a lot of hype you can almost tell that it wasn't going to reach it right but this is just the expectation here was that we were going to get the old games just looking a little better and you kind of didn't get that and it makes me wonder like how rockstar treated such a revered trilogy of games that are arguably responsible for a lot of modern evolutions in game design like it's almost like maybe they do they not revere their own titles as much as like everybody else seems to because San, and- San Andreas and-, and Vice City are like like very very classic games that do deserve the love and care that was assumed to be there in this definitive edition and the fact that it's just not there it's just like it really is a baffling thing that they let this happen in the first place i do hope they fix it but like the fuck 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's uh, it's strange because it makes me a little worried about GTA Four. Yeah, which I was kind of hoping that they were gonna port, and I feel like that should just be able to be. That's an Unreal Three the game. I think they should just be able to move that over pretty easily. But yeah, don't don't AI you know, it. <laughs> yeah, you don't need Please. to fuck with that game, and and I kind of feel bad because I was really hyping this up sight unseen, and it's a check to me that I need to wait on that simply because I was I was encouraging people to especially our younger audience or our more inexperienced gamers out there got to play these games I still feel that way but maybe wait and see what the solution is here I'm sorry for speaking out of turn in that regard but I'm also curious about what happens with these various hackers because I don't know if you've seen take two is like aggressively going after a bunch of modders that have done old things and are still like trying to fix the new games and apparently some of them are actually usually you capitulate you but they're apparently not. So there's more to be said here. And I wonder what the, if the outcome will be that these modders kind of gray hat the situation and fix it. I wouldn't be surprised. And then maybe, you know, very similar to how like Uber hires people to try to hack their cars, their driverless cars and stuff. And then maybe you just give them a little money and, and before you know it, you have a functional game. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like they have some mods for Grand Theft Auto V that are just like Vice City themed and it looks amazing. Don't know why they didn't just but get those guys to do it. Jesus. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is an interesting thing. I just wanted to speak about real quick. Kotaku wrote about it, but they actually tweeted about it. Battlefield, the game tweeted about it. Communications. So there's a character named Boris and there are mastery tiers in the game. And you can unlock this, I guess, skin for the mastery tier for Boris. One of them is called the Little Green Men. And this seemed to have gone under people's radars. But it's interesting as Kotaku writes, quote, a skin in the new Battlefield 2042 will be renamed in the game's next update after users pointed out that it had a lot in common with a group of Russian soldiers involved in the country's annexation of parts of Ukraine in 2014. One of the game's characters, Russian-born Peter Boris Kushtovsky, has a skin you can unlock called the Little Green Man. It seems like it could have just been a joke since this skin is green camo and Boris is a very large boy, but thanks to the combination of the name and Boris's nationality, it was also quickly seen as a reference to Russia's 2014 annexation of the Crimea, end quote. So, they changed, they're removing this and they apologize for it and they say it was a mistake. I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but this is another argument similar to the one I was making about Call of Duty last week and you weren't here for this, Dustin, but they removed pages of the Quran from a zombies map because God forbid anyone gets offended and you know we don't want people to get offended. So it, this is a similar situation to me where maybe that is the intention. He's Russian. Yeah. It could entirely be possible that he's a pro-Russian separatist that wanted to take Ukraine and wanted to take Crimea. That did happen. That is a historical thing. Unfortunately, that happened to those people. 
I'm just totally perplexed by why that's a problem. You know, it, it, you're not so it's not an endorsement of people. You're not supposed to endorse everything about a person. They might have some unsavory or unsatisfactory views. Perhaps this character is is a is a pro. I don't know what's going on in Battlefield 2042, but pro Russia, whatever. And that's his reference. Like, what is the problem with that? That's yeah. all I want to say. I don't even put anyone on the spot to talk about. It. I just I wanted to say that that is in the news and I'm, I'm sick of that shit. I did want to throw something over to Dustin, though. Shin Megami Tensei 5 might be coming um, to PC, but it looks like it might also be coming to PS4. So data miners that are reported on by PC Games N, which is a PC games website, found that um, Shin Megami Tensei 5, which is out on Switch right now, has mentions of a PC and a PS4 port within the code of the games. We know this because, of course, Switch games are being rampantly dumped as ROMs now, and that's a huge problem, I think. But... This is obvious. I think I think this was always going to happen. This was a timed exclusive. But how do you feel about this? By the way, this game is uh, a little contentious. I, I, I don't know what's going on around this game. Have you been seeing this kind of stuff with people kind of getting upset with the way it's been covered and everything? Talk to me a little bit about that. To my understanding, a lot of people aren't liking how it's being covered because it's being compared to Persona. Particularly IGN's review made a lot of comparisons to Persona. And... There's a lot of arguments that you can make about comparing one game to another during a review or whatever, but in some ways I feel like it's fair since this is, to my understanding, the first SMT game to come out since Persona really went mainstream. So yeah, there's going to be some comparisons, no doubt, but overall I'm I'm interested in this game. A lot of people keep asking me if I've picked it up for Switch yet. I am, have been kind of resistant just because as a big Persona fan, I know I'm going to want it to be like Persona, and I know it's not that. So I am kind of have this feeling that I won't like it. But the other reason is that I don't want to play a game like this on the Switch. I would much rather play it on playstation 4 or pc it just looks like uh it, it like it's running on an underpowered tablet i mean cer certain third-party games like this just come off that way so it's probably fine and would be a, a fun time but i'm just too much of a stickler for performance and resolutions and stuff like that so the thought of it coming to ps4 is exciting i feel like i'd be much more likely to check it out when that happens but who knows? Maybe I'll break and get it on Switch anyway. I don't know. I also wanted to make note real quick about well, so quite a bit of Ubisoft news. First of all, the longtime creative director of Far, my beloved Far Cry series, Dan Hay, is leaving Ubisoft. He was the executive producer and a longtime lead of Far Cry going all the way back to uh, Far Cry 3, which is kind of the breaking out. Not post um, Crytek era that happened earlier, but when Far Cry became really popular so he'll be missed and he's actually at the same time the old writer of assassin's creed is returning to ubisoft darby christopher who started writing assassin's creed with like bloodlines he wrote revelation and black flag and origins and and so on and so forth so he's coming back into the fold and ubisoft also revealed that they are indeed pursuing this this rumored and at one time announced uh, theme park uh, 
don't know what you want to call it, endeavor, where they're going to different cities around the world and they're going to have like a one-off park based on a game. And the first that they've apparently secured is in the Mediterranean, off the coast of France. And it'll be open in 2025. Unknown the nature of the theme park. So I want to throw all that Ubisoft news out there as well. And then just a couple more things. Ryu Gagodoku, the Sega-owned studio behind Yakuza, is, according to Video Games Chronicle, and this was from Famitsu and then translated by Video Games Chronicle, that Masayoshi Yokoyama, who's now the studio director, is working on, there seems like they're working on three games, and one of them is a non-Yakuza title. I just wanted to throw out there to the boys what they might hope out of this team that's not Yakuza related. And uh, Chris, I want to throw it to you first. I'm, I'm not a big Yakuza fan. I know you're not either, but yeah. this studio, I feel like a studio that is in touch with some sort of real Japanese culture, even if it's a campy or a played up version of Japanese culture, is quite valuable. And I always lament the fact that we don't get enough games in the West, especially open world games that take place in unusual places. Ghost of Tsushima was so special in part because it took place in Japan. I mean, we just don't we don't see many games over there. Mm-hmm. And I think the Metro series is so special because it takes place in Russia. We, we, totally. we don't play games in Russia. So I feel like their potential is to do something in Japan. And I'm just wondering if you agree and what you might want to see out of a studio that is focused so much on that country. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a fun setting. I, I, I think, um, I, again, like I, because I'm so unfamiliar with this series, I'm not sure what I what I could really say about it or what I could really say, even what my expectations would be, it would be nice to see more games, specifically in more genres that take place in in different places. Because I feel like a lot of, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of games that take place in Japan, but I, I have no doubt that a lot of them are games that I wouldn't play, you know, because they're like, I don't know, maybe turn-based or like whatever, or like, or I don't know, like like Persona, I don't know, does Persona take place anywhere? Is it like a fictional world or whatever? Like what's no, Persona's- it takes place in... It takes place in Japan, right? Right. That, that's what I mean. It's like the, the, it's yeah. like Japan's not even that uncommon of a place. It's just like it's it's sure. always a part of these games that like I just personally don't have interest in. And it was nice to play something like Ghost of Tsushima, which was ostensibly just you know the Assassin's Creed Japan, you know that we've that kind we of never been, got, yeah. Right. That Sony had to come give us <laughs> because yeah, it's weird. That, it's weird that they never did that. I don't know why. I, I guess that must have been in the plan at some point. But. I remember an article coming out a long time ago, although I'm not sure if this was like just. This could be made up, but I remember them being like, oh, it's too easy. You know, that's what everybody expects, so let's not do it. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what? I, I thought Ameri- the American Revolution was cool. I thought that would have been cool to do more of that kind of stuff, too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they did. But yeah. I don't know if I have much to say, to be honest, about it. Well, Dustin, what do you think? You're more in line with Ryu Gakodoku. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm curious what you might want to see out of them as a non Yakuza project, particularly because they have new leadership, so they can really go in any direction and maybe even hire to do something totally different. I think it would be cool to see them tackle another licensed property because a few years ago they did a Fist of the North Star game, which is not an IP that I'm very familiar with, but I think it's a very cool thing that they did that. And with anime, there's so many cool IPs and the games are usually lackluster. Uh, So it would be cool to see them do like a game... I don't know, like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure game or something uh, or some other anime IP that maybe hasn't had a a game like that. They've also done some really weird stuff with Yakuza where they 
did it in feudal Japan, but it was with the same characters of the. I remember that that one wasn't one. released here, right? That yeah, was, it wasn't released here. Yeah, Ryuga Goduku Ishin. Right. Which I think is which I think is going to maybe they were like talked about it recently, right? That they were like, yeah, maybe. I feel like I it'd be wanna... easy for them to just you know do the localization. Yakuza is huge here now, so why not? Seems like easy money. I would agree. All right. Before we get into what we're playing, James Solar wrote in and said, greetings, gents. My wife and I closed on our first house last week. Congratulations. And I've become and I've been thinking, I'm sorry about this a lot. What should be the first game that I play in our new house or in our new game room? Should I replay something that I know I like or simply continue along in my backlog? It's a very nostalgic and sentimental question. I think, James, my take is that you just got to you, you just got to roll right into what you're doing. I don't think you got to make like you don't got to light candles and do like a seance. <laughs> and play Super Mario Brothers on an original NES and shit. I think you just you just play, you just roll into it, you enjoy, uh, start new memories. That's my opinion. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. It's gonna feel forced if you're playing something for a ritual of the first game. If you want to do something special, though, I would say maybe have a little party, play some Mario Kart with some friends. Maybe that's a way to yeah christen in the new home. Smash Brothers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Little Big Planet carding, yeah, a little classic. Boy, perhaps. The correct answer, though, idiot James, is uh, you boot up an original PlayStation. You play Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver all the way through. One hundred percent. I like that. I like that a lot. Dumb question. Next. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into what we're playing. Dustin, let's go to you first. Sure. I'm curious because you weren't hearing it last week. I really want to hear what you think about Elden Ring. We're trying to. We got to do an episode about it. Mm -hmm. I think at some point for Sacred Symbols Plus. And I know that there's some people in our orbit that would really like to participate in that. So that would be fun. But w what do you think about that? And I know you're also playing Alan Wake. And if you have more to say about Halo, you're welcome to do it. So take it away. Sure. So Elden Ring, I was really lucky to have a fan reach out to me with a code to play the network test on lucky. Xbox One. Actually, not Xbox One, Xbox Series X. So. Oh, okay. cool. I was playing it on Xbox just because that was what was available. But overall, this game's pretty good. It's funny because I'm not super amped up about it, but it's not negative. It's interesting in that so many people are like really losing their mind over the network test, saying that it's like the best thing they played all year, stuff like that. And I don't know if it feels a little muted to me since I've played through every dark souls game this year and really you played so demon souls dark souls one two and three and bloodborne all this year not bloodborne this year that's the one i did oh, okay. i did okay. uh sekiro though so i guess bloodborne maybe sekiro, I should... yeah so okay yeah oh sekiro as well wow that's a lot man that's a lot of game yeah, yeah. i did that so that was like part of my early streaming got some, days got some was... big got some big big ball energy huh that's right yeah that? some big old balls some big old balls and uh <laughs> The funny thing about this game to me is anyone who tries to say that it's not Dark Souls 4 or open world Dark Souls, it, that's what it is. It's just simply what it is. And I think the thing that only slightly disappointed me, which is not even that bad, is this game pulls from the same bag of tricks, the Miyazaki bag of tricks that's in all of his games. It's present here. Stuff like you're going through an area and a giant enemy falls down on you and it's surprising. Or uh, you got to go 
through a special like side entrance or whatever talk to this guy there's just a lot of the the staples for these types of games is it different because it's open world and it changes a lot of stuff yes riding around on a horse is awesome it's very cool and changes a lot of aspects of what the combat can look like in the open world but nothing like blew me away nothing really surprised me but that's okay i had a really great time playing it i played through and beat i think all of the bosses maybe not the dragon boss but i'm looking forward to more i don't want people to think that i'm negative on it or anything like that i'm just i just enjoyed it it's just more yeah. of that thing that i like and i'm i'm pleased about that did you get it did you get into that chris or no no i I think somebody emailed me a code, but I just, I, I don't know. Part of me was just like, you know what? I'm more than happy just waiting to play this, you know, because I, I don't need to be like, because I know this is one of those games that if I start playing it, right, and then like I, I, I lose access to it and then I get access to it again in a couple months, I, I feel like it's not something I'm, I'm not likely to fall off this game and then come back. You know, or at least from what I'm seeing, like that's just usually been my history with these the Souls games and like Sekiro and like as much as I love Sekiro, it's just a game that like I, I stopped playing at a certain point. And I just never came back to it sure. because it's just the, the muscle memory of that is so specific. Sekiro specifically, right? Where it was just like, you know what? I'm going to wait till this is out because that's really the main thing that I'm looking forward to in February that I'm aware of anyway. So I'll put some time into it there. I'm more than happy to wait. So. Fair enough. That's I did want to acknowledge. Uh, it was probably two weeks ago on this show that I mentioned I was on media blackout. So it is hypocritical of me the fact that I played this. I did <laughs> consciously change my mind because I was thinking about it, and I thought avoiding seeing anything from this network test is going to be near impossible. And if I don't play it, I'm going to find out everything piece by piece over the next few months through people either telling me on Twitch. Or tweeting yeah. at me, or in my Discord, or whatever. So I thought, fuck it, I'm just gonna play it and enjoy it firsthand, the small amount that I can, instead of just hearing it all secondhand for the next few months. So, and then the other two, of course, Alan Wake, I played through for our spoiler cast that we're gonna do on that, and I don't want to say too much because I want to save it for the spoiler cast. Other than this game did not hold up for me, guys. And it's very shocking because I have championed this game for years as my favorite remedy game. And I had quite a few issues with it this time around. So mm -hmm. we'll just put that as a little, little tease for the yeah, spoiler cast. Put a pin in that. Sure. Uh, Halo Infinite, though. Awesome. Really great. I think Chris summed it up really well earlier, so I don't want to go over it too much other than they really desperately need to add team deathmatch. Yeah, and it's yeah. not even because I want to play Team Deathmatch. We need to get the people who want to play Team Deathmatch out of the objective-based modes. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing more annoying than playing oddball, and there's two dudes that are just playing Team Deathmatch on your team. And they won't yeah. pick up the ball, they won't defend you, they won't do anything. Yeah, it, it's especially infuriating. Uh, I, that's my main... My main issue right now with the multiplayer is just the, the playlist options, which I don't yeah. even think are... It's not even that I think they're too few. It's that they're too nonspecific. 
Like, right. I think a lot would be helped by just adding a Team Slayer playlist and that's it. Keep Quick Play the same. Keep Big Team Battle the same as, like, Slayer and Objective mixed up, whatever. Big Team is casual anyway. But, like, playing Capture the Flag and, like, one dude is just angry that he's not playing Team Deathmatch. So he's, like, yeah. so he's so he's holding the flag and, like, not capturing it like an asshole it's just it's it's the worst experience ever and i think it would be a lot better if you got those people because even i'm not in the mood to play objective all the time sure. you know like i'm just sometimes i just want to destroy people and that's all i want to do i don't want to strategize and like be like get the flag get the flag i don't want to have to do that every single mode and and you know that's that's the main issue that i'm having there's some game types that are missing from custom games as well there's a lot of like little things on the back end that need to be fixed but like the core game is like really satisfying and it's just it feels really good to play the maps are all genuinely well designed from what i've played and they they nailed it i, I think there might be a bit of a content issue i th- i do think there needs to be more there obviously the battle pass is like a huge fuck up but i don't really play yeah. games for battle passes anyway so it's like it's very very not on my radar but I'm really happy with it. I'm ex- I'm excited for the campaign too. Like I'm just like it's gotten me more amped knowing that this game plays as well as it does to see how it functions in like a single player exploratory setting. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I think they really did a good job. Yeah, I've been I've been digging it. I've been playing it pretty much every day, and it's great, dude. Series X, and I know PS5 does this also. Uh, if you guys have a TV that can do 120 FPS on a game like Halo, it's fucking awesome. Being able to play multiplayer at 120, it's crazy. Uh, it makes a big difference. So, I'm enjoying it though. But yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've I've also been messing around with uh, San Andreas. We talked about that already. It's a mess. And uh, Call of Duty Vanguard. I'm I'm slowly making my way through the campaign. I don't hate it. I think it's fine. It's uh, it's it's. I did notice that I'm having more fun with it, I think, because it's been a long time since I've played a Call of Duty game. Because, like, every time I find myself having, like, a good time, I'm wondering, like, why is it? And I'm just like, oh, it's just been a minute since I've played this exact type of game. So, nothing groundbreaking, nothing crazy, but it's it's Call of Duty. I Like, I, I don't really have, I don't think I'll have anything more to say about it until, like, maybe I finish the campaign, which is, I need to say something. This just This just came into my head. Mm. why can you not change the fov in campaign like i do not understand why this is a thing that is in call of duty where you you can bump the fov in multiplayer to like 120 or whatever and you have this nice field of view you can see everything you feel really fast and in call of duty single player you're locked at this like 40 fov where it feels like you're just like looking it's almost like your eyes are full screen it's like the strangest fucking thing and, and you feel really slow and sluggish and it, it's really nauseating to go back and forth between like this really slow campaign and this like really quick multiplayer. It's just very bizarre that that's a feature that is just absent from the campaign. I don't understand why they're doing this, but that's the only thing that came to mind, came to mind just now. And that's everything I've been playing, really. Yeah, we'll talk more about Vanguard shortly. Yeah. Mike has been playing it a ton. She really likes it. <clears throat> um online yeah she beat the campaign too i don't think she was crazy about it but she'll be on the spoiler cast or review discussion whenever we do that i think ben is going to do that with her and we'll draft chris in if he wants to do it as well but i'll leave Mm -hmm. that up to him yeah and then for me same three games i think but different things to say about them so kenna kena whatever kuna bridge of spirits kuna matata 
it's a good game. It's a really good game. I really like it a lot. Beautiful. Beat it finally. We actually, I actually reviewed a spoiler cast and rediscussion already, so you can listen to that on Sacred Symbols, where I get deep into my thoughts with that. But I think overall, it's a very high quality, very expensive looking ode to PlayStation Two action platformers, and I think it does a really nice job. And my hope is that maybe they do another one. I think that they have something here that I find the character quite charming, so I do recommend that. And then. Doki Doki Literature Club, I restarted and then played all the way through. I actually played it through three times, I think. And this is a really great game. I really, really like this game a lot. My big disappointment with it is how over the top they get with saying in the beginning, this game is for adults. This game is inappropriate. Like they make you, they say it over and over and over again. And it annoys me because I think it would have been cool to just start the game out. First of all, the ESRB rating would have said a lot of things. And then it just started out and said, this this game is for adults or something like that. And then otherwise, and it's just doki doki. And it's just the cute girls on the screen and you select what you're going to do and stuff. That would have been the way to do it. I'm not going to ruin it any further than that. Obviously, the game is not what it seems. But I feel like they were just too on the nose with that. And if anything, it set expectations to be like, oh, I know something fucking crazy is going to happen in this game. I get it because you told me 17 times. Yeah. And and I, I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of that was other than that. They were really afraid that the wrong people were going to play it or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost like when somebody recommends a movie to you and then you're like, you're not going to see the twist coming. And then it's like, well, now I know to look for a uh, right. damn it. You just you, you, you kind of fucked it for me because now I'm going to be looking for the twist and I'm probably going to see it because not let's face it. Not many movies aren't really that clever. You're probably going to if you think there's a twist, you're probably going to guess it. And I agree. And. So I have a lot of really positive things to say about the game. I think it's really interesting. And I know I missed it years ago when it came to PC, but this was my first opportunity to play it here. And the game's selling like extraordinarily well. You'll recall last month, I think we said it was over half a million sold since the Doki Doki Literature Club Plus unit came out. And then I've been playing Far Cry 6 and I'm probably like 15 hours into it. Maybe this game's awesome. I fucking love this game. This is a great Far Cry 6 is a great game. It's really fun. It's really well made. It's it's huge. The game is huge. Now, I don't always want to play a game like this. I want to get into a game like this once in a while. But the map is massive where I couldn't even believe it. And I actually remember having that feeling when I played Far Cry 5 and looking at the map of Montana and being thinking to myself, this is this is insanely big. And I feel that way even more now where I can't even believe how big it is. Now, some people might think that's good. Some people might think that's bad, but. I think there's a lot to this game. And one of the things that was annoying me at first, I actually have come to like, which is you can't surgically approach the game like you do Far Cry games. You just can't. You can't say like, here are all the bases. Here are all the encampments and everything and just kind of go and and knock them out. Like you need to find people that tell you things about these bases and tell you what to look for and where to be and how to do it. And so you can go in and out of these red areas and it doesn't affect anything because like they're just always going to be occupied until you figure out exactly how to how to get rid of it. They kind of slow down the cycle the one thing i'll say and it's because i'm doing a lot of side story stuff is that i just don't think giancarlo esposito is that good like he's he's great but i gotta say my man joseph seed from far cry 5 is still my fave i think i love that that villain i love the religiosity of it and all of that so anyway far cry 6 we'll talk about it a little later because it's selling extraordinarily well but i highly recommend it there's a lot of really I don't know, jaded people out there. I'm jaded too about a lot of things that are always going to talk shit about Far Cry. But if you like Far Cry, you know who I'm talking to out there. If you like Far Cry, like I like Far Cry, you're going to love Far Cry 6. All right. 
Let's get into the news now, boys. It's time. I mean, I promised we would talk about Call of Duty again, so let's do it. Number one, every year Call of Duty comes out in the fall and dominates the sales charts, and that may not be so different this year with Call of Duty Vanguard, which just launched on PS4 and PS5 earlier in November. However, a report from Trusted Source Video Games Chronicle triangulates their knowledge of the situation with some publicly available numbers from fellow website GamesIndustry.biz to draw a stunning conclusion. Call of Duty is having its worst opening 10 days since 2007. In November of 2007, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare launched from Infinity Ward, and while it's one of the most beloved games in the franchise, it's also, as VGC points out, the genesis of Call of Duty as we know it. Thus, this drop-off is incredibly newsworthy. As VGC, as VGC illustrates, 2010's Call of Duty Black Ops still represents the biggest launch in series history. From that high point, Vanguard is off the mark a full 200%. VGC points out that 2013's Call of Duty Ghosts and 2016's Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, both from Infinity Ward, were the two previous weak spots in the link, and that Vanguard is underperforming even them by 52% and 16% respectively. Now let's keep things in context. Call of Duty is still going to be a massive seller and dominate the MPD in the short term. However, its long-term staying power may be hobbled not only by significant competition in the shooter space, both by paid and free-to-play um, rivals, but by its own popular free-to-play offering Warzone, not to mention Call of Duty Mobile. In other words, we, we need, we'll need to wait to see if Activision's financials uh, before we get a better idea Call of Duty launched in 2003 on PS3 from Infinity Ward has since become Activision's biggest product with annualized releases beginning in 2005 through today. Its biggest teams, Infinity Ward, Sledgehammer, Treyarch, Raven, and others are all working full-time on the series, which may finally be reaching a point of both exhaustion and insurmountable competition. That should probably be PS2, by the way, just in case somebody like flips oh. it out. It says, it says launch. Oh, I'm sorry, PS3, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah launched yeah. on P 2003 on PS2. Thank you. Delete your comment. Thank you. Don't, yeah, stop. CJ Hines wrote in and said... Hey guys, this is the first time in 14 years I haven't bought the new Call of Duty. Apparently, I'm not the only one who felt the fatigue of the franchise. GamesIndustry.biz is reporting that the UK launch of Vanguard is down a staggering 40% from last year's sales, even though it's still the second best-selling game of the year already. Is this people voting with their wallets, or is there an overall lack of interest in another World War II shooter from the franchise? I'm personally just tired of the rinse-and-repeat formula and lack of any true innovation from the series. It's time to change it up. Would love to hear your thoughts. I don't know, Chris, let's go back to you with this one. I mean, you have some experience with the game. I've been watching Micah play it a lot, but I've not gotten hands on with it yet. It just looks like more, more Call of Duty. And I have to say the game, it looks really fun. I, I like the way Call of Duty feels personally. Mm -hmm. And I'm not super shocked by the fall in sales because I think that I was actually looking at this. Call of Duty sales have kind of gone up and down more than I think people give credit for. There are games in the series that have sold 30 million units. And then there are games in the series that have sold like 15 million. Right. And they're all kind of considered the same, but they're really not. And it's surprising to see Infinity Ward struggling with their releases while they were the ones who made the series to begin with. And by the way, made the series what it was with Modern Warfare, the original Modern Warfare. I remember very well getting a massive box from Activision when I worked at IGN full of copies of the game that they were distributing to everyone at IGN because it was supposed to be like this massive genre bending FPS and it was for a lot of people no doubt about it but I wonder Chris if they're not experiencing the, the competition of their own products oh why would you buy Call of Duty if you can play a, a, a mobile version that's apparently very good and Warzone which is free it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense yeah it, it is kind of one of those situations where they are competing with themselves and because Call of Duty's popularity I have no doubt that Call of Duty's popularity has gone down overall but Warzone really kind of Warzone is really, really popular. There's a lot of people who probably, like, I would be surprised if people play Warzone not really understanding that it's a Call of Duty game. Because it, 
it's only kind it's very loose. It's a very loose association. And I do think that compared with, uh, you know, in addition to like all the other sh- competition right now. Yeah. Vanguard is definitely like the least interesting multiplayer offering this year, even when you compare it to Warzone or Battlefield, which is like kind of half baked, but it's still offering something like very, very weird and very off the beaten path. And Halo, which is like free and very, very arena and very, very, very old school. I just think it, it, it was the least compelling option this year. And I think you're seeing that reflected in sales. It doesn't change the fact that it's going to sell a ton. And obviously they need to appeal to that audience that they've cultivated for the last 14 years by putting this out, even though Warzone is very clearly going to outperform it. I think they're just in a situation where they have two distinct audiences that they're trying to maintain. And while this is a big drop-off, again, it's important to keep in context, they're still selling a lot. Like, it's selling a lot. I, I agree with you. That's why I wanted to bring up the kind of the, the stratospheric differences in sales between games, even in the Call of Duty franchise, because all it does is show you and illustrate perfectly well the complete dominance that that series has where it's almost always with the exception of a rockstar big rockstar release always the best-selling game of the year in the u.s and in western europe and in other places no matter if it sells 15 million or 30 million yeah which just means that everyone below them is not even getting close so it is all relative but dustin i'm wondering what you think about this conundrum they find themselves in by the way i'm just looking at twitter now because i just saw this pop up on act for people reporting that Microsoft has apparently said that they're re- like, you know, looking into their relationship with Activision. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a way to scare the board. Uh, they're not obviously going to walk away from Activision, but it seems like, you know, the heat is getting hot over there. Temperature is getting hot, I should say. Heat gets hot, yeah. of course. I'm wondering what you make of, though, Dustin, Activision's approach here. Is it a fatigue issue? Is it a competition issue? We have things like Battlefield, obviously, out this year. But Battlefield hasn't eaten into... Call of Duty this badly in in times past, nor has Battlefront in previous times when that series was doing exceptional Call of Duty like numbers. Call of Duty still performed there as well. So I just think that there's more to this. I think the one thing we have to downplay a little bit is the the effect on what's going on at Activision, which I think is no offense, uh, mostly if not completely irrelevant to the sales situation. Oh yeah, uh, writ large. So what do you think? I think that the poor sales of Vanguard is multifaceted. First of all, the beta performance was was not very good. There were lots of bugs in that beta, and I think it scared away a lot of people. Second, I think people don't want World War II shooters anymore, at least from a mainstream Call of Duty game. I think people like having explosive RC cars and lasers and all kinds of weird futuristic gadgets in Call of Duty games. And I feel like to a lot of people, the thought of playing a World War II Call of Duty is regressive at this point. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest aspects of it. I think we saw this somewhat with Call of Duty World War II, but I think people were a little more open-minded since they hadn't seen a World War II Call of Duty game, but people didn't seem to really latch on to that game. That's Not that it yeah. was a bad Call of Duty, but it was definitely one of the weaker ones. It, yeah, and, it, it, <laughs> and now you have Sledgehammer, which also made that. This is, they're up again, and it's another World War II game. So between the the bugs, the, the, the like, when... 
the beta was out, I remember seeing so many TikToks of like crazy shit going on. And so even if you weren't playing the beta for Vanguard, you were seeing some of the stuff online, which I think probably scared people away. And overall, too, I think there is some tiredness to the franchise as well. But I don't know. I always feel like there's tiredness towards Call of Duty and it's never affected it. So I really think it's probably just like the subject matter is not what people are are looking for anymore in Call of Duty. And even people who might be looking for that are looking at a game that's not even really a World War II shooter. Like it is, but it's it it has all this weird shit. It's got like holographic sights and all this like weird like yeah. It it it, 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 it's it's almost like a I'm not gonna say like steampunk, but it's almost like that weird like alternative World War II. But like it doesn't go far enough to entice people who might be interested in in historical fiction. And it leans too. It, it's still too rooted in World War II to be interesting to people who might be interested in that. So it's like a very weird. It, it's like they don't know what they're making, really. And I, and I didn't want to bring that up because Colin, you said it was Infinity War. It is Sledgehammer and Treyarch this time around. Oh, I'm sorry. It, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, before right. anybody yeah. like writes in about it, my uh, God, I'm making some mistakes. Please don't hurt the, me. <laughs> because Infinity War put out Warzone. It was famously actually Treyarch that did Blackout in Black Ops 4 before that, which was mm. a battle royale that nobody cared about, and Warzone was Infinity Wars that actually, like, that destroyed. Um, so right now it's, like, it's Treyarch, Sledgehammer, and Raven all collaborating with High Moon and Beanox on this one, so, which is, like, ridiculous. I, I should say, just real quick, that's just a typo on my part. Uh, my friend Alexa helped write the game, so and she works at Sledgehammer, so I... I yeah, yeah, in yeah, my yeah, heart, yeah. I, in my heart, I knew that. But no, but yeah, go I, on. I just wanted to make sure nobody wrote it. No, no I know it's a typo. I, pr- I appreciate you saving me on that. Thank so, you. yeah, I don't know. I just think it's like a weird game that's not speaking to anybody. And I feel like every other game in the shooter space right now, including Warzone, is just speaking to people because Battle Royale is still hot somehow. You know, Halo is free to play and like weird and interesting and like arena and like physics driven and sandbox driven. Battlefield, as broken as that game is, it's got like 128 players on a map. You know, it's got like this cra- all this futuristic shit that people are actually like a little bit more into in their FPSs. I don't know. It's just it's it's the cards did not fall in the right way for Call of Duty this year. And I don't think that really means anything. Yeah, we'll see. I, you're right, because, again, I need to see the numbers. Yeah, I need to see their stock is suffering right now, you know, mildly for what's going on over the company. But. Generally speaking, they're up and up and up and up and up. In fact, when we first got on Zencaster to start recording today, I was I was looking at the numbers and I was like, guys, Activision was like worthless. Even when Call of Duty started hitting, you can get Call of Duty, you can get Activision stock in like 2009, 2010 for 10 bucks. So this is a company that has exploded to 60 or $70 a share, making many people rich. And the only thing that really matters on that ledger is what the numbers look like. And as long as they're making money, they don't care if they sell 10 million copies of Call of Duty, if, if all the numbers look right and everything's drawing in the right direction. What I'm a little surprised about with Call of Duty, and I thought about this recently, and I don't know how people feel about this idea, but we're going to talk about what Riot is doing with League of Legends in a little while, and I find it very interesting. And I'd like to see Activision do the same thing with Call of Duty. And what I mean by that is, why don't we get a Call of Duty strategy RPG? Why don't we get a Call of Duty narrative-driven game, first-person real narrative-driven game, not a, not a 10-hour campaign, but something that's longer and deeper, that maybe tells a deeper story, a Call of Duty story. I feel like maybe the way to make Call of Duty interesting and keep it interesting, keeping relevant, is to support Warzone and all the different multiplayer modes, mobile and everything in these one-off games, I think maybe need to stop and instead offer up something that's compelling 
to people that also enjoy the campaigns, because even though people downplay the campaigns, the trophies and achievements reflect that people play them. So can you can you do something different with the way you put these games out? I think they can, but we need more information. We won't find out until April, May, what these numbers look like for monetarily for sure. So we'll see what happens, but best of luck to Activision. I mean, whatever, who cares? <laughs> Number two, the recent rumors are true, not surprisingly. Warner Brothers is indeed cooking up a Smash Brothers clone called the Multiverses, and it's due to come to PS4 and PS5 in 2022. The game was revealed in a nearly four-minute video showing off the game, which is being developed by a studio called Player First, located in L.A. and founded and run by veterans of Santa Monica Studio, Riot, Disney, and others uh, in the Los Angeles area. This is Player First's first game. It'll be a free-to-play game, first of all, which removes a massive barrier to entry, and it will also be completely cross-play between all current platforms inside and outside of our PlayStation ecosystem. The roster of characters as shown on the game's website so far consists of Arya Stark, Batman, Bugs Bunny, Finn the Human, Garnet, Harley Quinn, Jake the Dog, Rain Dog, Shaggy, Steven Universe, Superman, Tom and Jerry, and Wonder Woman. More character reveals have been promised leading up to its 2022 launch, and it's unclear what the final launch roster will be numbers-wise. Modes will include 1v1, 2v2, and 1v1v1v1, or or free-for-all kind of there. And there will be a training mode and ranked competitive standings. As a free-to-play game, the plan is to support it long-term with updates, characters, stages, modes, and more after launch. You can currently sign up for mysterious playtests on the official website, which is multiverses.com. So, uh, first of all, I don't even know who some of these characters are. I was even looking at them. I don't know who Finn the Human is. Who's that? That's uh, Adventure Time. Adventure Time. And then Garnet. I don't know who that is. That's Steven Universe, I think. And then Jake the Dog. That's Adventure Time again. And then Rain Dog. I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's like Rain Man, I guess. But yeah, Rain Man, he knows a lot about like the Cincinnati Reds statistics, <laughs> but, it's a, but it's also a reindeer. Yeah. I, I did like seeing, I don't think this character leaked. Maybe it did, but Arya Stark was kind of cool to see. I thought that was neat. Dustin, let's go to you first on this one. What do you think about Warner Brothers upcoming multiplayer crossover brawler multiverses? Well, I think they got a good example of what not to do with the Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. And I actually saw this in our Discord this morning. Uh, Alexis posted this, that one of the devs of Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl made a tweet that I thought was really interesting. Uh, This is Thaddeus Cruz says, absolutely incredible first impression. Huge props to WB Games. Fully voiced, variety of alt costumes, faithful music, day one crossplay. Couldn't have been cheap, but the reaction it's already getting speaks volumes on how unquestionably essential they are for any fighting game. So that's one of the devs of uh, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. Interesting. Kind of taking a shot at probably the budget that they had to work with for that game. And if you watch the multiverses reveal, they made sure to make emphasis on some key points that are very important to... I mean, I guess the Smash Brothers community in particular, that's who they're really talking to when they're making this type of game. They're talking about the netcode being good. They're talking about dedicated servers, things like that. They made sure to put an emphasis on the fact that the characters have voice acting, which I'm pretty sure that was one of the big problems with the Nickelodeon game is that it's silent. Like none of the characters have (laughs) their voices. That's so weird. (laughs) <laughs> just because it would be really expensive to, to I'm get sure that. it would be but 
But you would think that they own all of the source material where they can just kind of like have some audio editors go in and even take out like some sound. You, know? <laughs> you, like would, you think. would just Now, I want to be clear. I don't have any conflict of interest here. I don't think my brother is an art director now at Nickelodeon. And we're talking about this game uh... now. But I, I was a little surprised by people seemed real hyped about that Nickelodeon game. And I remember saying this game. Don't you remember on the show? I was like, this game looks like shit. Yeah. And then people wrote in and, and were saying, no, man, this is like. This is going to be a big thing. And then it came out and it doesn't seem like anyone cares about it uh, at all. Which yeah. I, but maybe it's because they didn't put the love in. What do you think, Chris? What do you think about all that? Uh, I, had, I had no idea that the Nickelodeon game was silent. I'm pretty uh, sure there's no that's voices so, that's from so characters. Eerie. That is, that's yeah, that's so shit. eerie. It's just a bunch of your like, favorite characters beating each other up in abject silence. <laughs> that's so fucking <laughs> creepy. It's like, especially because it's a cartoon game, you know, like you'd want some like that animated nature of it to kind of shine through. And like, what better way to do that than with voice acting? It's like, it's such a strange omission. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this looks like every time I see crossover games like this that aren't Smash Brothers, and I guess it's because Smash Brothers is so ingrained into my head and it just feels normal. Like there's something about it that just feels like uh, you ever see Ready Player One? Unfortunately, it, yes. It's like that type deal where it's just you're watching it and you're like why are all of these things in the same place it's like very strange and it feels like they don't belong like i don't know why Arya stark is like a cool thing but it's also very strange to see Arya stark and like bugs bunny and batman and shaggy yeah it's something it's, weirder it, about it than seeing video yeah. game characters like video game I characters agree. i don't know something really weird about it that i i can't I put my you. finger on maybe some wizard scientist can explain what it is i'm feeling but it's, it's something. the art it's the art i think too like it looks good but nintendo really did something with smash brothers that made it work even when they started bringing in characters that didn't make any sense like when solid snake came over for instance that was ridiculous i had no idea why that even happened and because why they silicon knights released a, a game five years or six years before that on gamecube well, he's, he's really... all right well he's my main so let's calm down yeah all right, no, all, easy. Right. Well, all right now stand down stand down stand uh down. but they did something really cohesive with the art style so that the more characters that came out, even though it's like Swordman from Fire Emblem and all this shit, it, it looked right when when Richter was a character or whatever that that all looked or Simon Belmont. It all looked mm -hmm. right. And I just feel like maybe that's the it's the aesthetic unevenness of this universe that because I think about characters like Tom and Jerry and I think I'm like, that is fucking cool. Yeah. But wouldn't it have been cool to have Tom and Jerry in Smash Brothers? That was kind of what my mind would have been because I think those characters working together instead of working against each other is hysterical and how you might actually be able to make it so that they hurt each other on accident and have little quirks about their characters and stuff like that, which would be cool. Yeah. So I was thinking about some of them, but yeah, but then you, right, you're right. It's like Shag or even Gandalf, who I love. I love Lord of the Rings. Who doesn't love Lord of the Rings? Right. right. But it's I don't want to play. As First of all, Gandalf is like a demigod, isn't he? Doesn't even really make any sense. Right. But apart from that, and then he's fighting Superman, who is impervious to everything well i i mean the, those those types of things have always e existed in fighting games where it's like oh yeah sure. i'm like playing as krillin and i'm beating like super saiyan 3 goku just because like i yeah, fighting games kind of don't make sense at all like especially when they take place like in a universe with actual like power dynamics like you could easily see in a video game like yeah why couldn't bugs bunny beat superman Right. Like, I really can't see... A, a, in fact, Bugs Bunny is probably way stronger than Superman, canonically speaking. You know, just the amount of shit that he's pulled. You could dig through the earth and shit. Like, all this crazy shit that Bugs Bunny... Like, I mean, they're all cartoons, you know? And Shaggy's got that super form or whatever the hell. Here's the thing. WB, you know, God they put us. the uh, 
I mean, Alex and his his rapist friends in uh, Space Jam. Space Jam. <laughs> so WB, they're going to do it again. You pl- let us play as the Clockwork Orange characters uh, against Shaggy. <laughs> yeah. Get real weird with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you guys think, uh, D- Dustin, do you think this, this, this game has a chance? I think that it being free to play is huge. I think that's a massive component. It, oh, yeah. You, c- you could not sell this game. But I think if you can get similar to what we were seeing with eFootball, where that game dominated the PS4 and PS5 free to play charts because it's there and it's and people are going to check into it. I feel like this is something that if it's good, it's got to launch in a good state. And if you right. can capture people, then I think that they have a, a chance here. Yeah, I think that if the right care is taken and the budget is there and the people that really care about platform fighters, the Smash Brothers fans, if they like it, then definitely. Yeah, you have an easy way to get in the headlines every few months by releasing new characters. Like, yeah, it, it, all it takes is one wacky appearance and then everyone's talking about it and making memes on Twitter. So as long as the budget's there and it's it's fun, I think it definitely has a chance for sure. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I largely agree. It definitely looks more polished than the Nickelodeon game. The, the Nickelodeon game looks straight up like a mobile game. Like it was amusing. Uh, but. I could see them I could see this being relatively successful. Like, I mean, you could do all sorts of like, especially if they got like like the Animaniacs and shit in there, or like just like really weird, like off the beaten path characters where it's like, yeah, this this could be fun to see. I do think, however, that ultimately what this game will end up doing is being a really, really expensive ad that Warner Brothers is making for Smash Brothers. Because I do feel like people are gonna be like, this is really great. What else is like this? And then they go to, and then they're going to obviously see Smash Brothers, which is like the dominant force in that genre. And then they're probably just gonna stick with that because it's just, I, I, I don't know because I haven't played this new game, but I have a, I'm pretty confident that it's not better than Smash, you know, call it a hunch. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that would be impossible. Even if it was, even if it was mechanically better, it couldn't shine through the lack of competitive ip it just it just can't yeah it, it, that that's relevant in those kinds of games i feel like in in exiting this question i'll be keeping an eye on the performance of this on those charts that we talk about every month yeah that they release on psn because whenever this game comes out it'll bubble up and then we'll have to keep an eye on if it's able to maintain itself or not i i, I feel good about this yeah but i think that they just have to aim at the appropriate at the appropriate target and i gotta give a shout out by the way the only other way you can get into a fighting game like this, I think, and do a, a crossover fighter is, of course, the way Marvel versus Capcom does it with teams. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I will say that the only other game that ties disparate IP together better than Smash Brothers is Marvel versus Capcom. And my brother Dagan always used that as an example of just absolutely immaculate the way it all goes together, the way Roll and Servebot and Iron Man and Juggernaut and BB Hood all look like they belong in the same world. Is <laughs> awesome. That's that's so. a, that's a, like aesthetic cohesion is like a really important part. And as long as they can look, if they can get Batman and other Warner Brothers characters like uh, Mark Antony Pussyfoot <laughs> looking looking right alongside <laughs> each other, or like Babbitt and Costello. Oh man! Or like all these below Slowpoke Rodriguez, Nasty Canasta. <laughs> Who are these people? Is WB have, tied to HBO? Can we get Tony Soprano in there? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I saw something about that. About it. like yeah, there. I mean, maybe we'll get some weird shit. Because I think yeah. Arya Stark. Yeah, HBO Arya Stark. Oh, I mean, oh, Ar- oh yeah, yeah. Duh. Ar- yeah so, Arya Stark. Let's make Arya it Stark. 
Arya Stark is animated though. I I want Unreal Engine five Tony Soprano. That would be with the that would be hysterical to have Tony in there. Or yeah, some <laughs> some Sopranos character that would be hysterical. Get, get it like and, modern day full motion video type deal where it's like it's almost like uh, the the old Mortal Kombat games where they yeah. just took video <laughs> take videos of him in like four K. Yeah, the FMV stuff. The, <laughs> I I feel like dude, if they did that, if they did something like that, I think that they it would signal to me that they have they understand the spirit that this game has to have uh, again i'm not saying full motion video no tony no, soprano, no, 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 no. Car- a cartoon a cartoonish tony soprano would be hysterical and the only reason they won't do that is because james gandolfini's dead and they're mm. and no one's gonna allow that to happen. right right but but they could get like you know christopher, christopher. yeah <laughs> if he uh, if he wins the if he wins the game like he'll, it'll just cut to black yeah exactly oh, and you'll shit. think that something was wrong with your cable That'd be fun. <laughs> All right. A trio of delays that we have to talk about here. Let's start with the first one. Number three. Not surprisingly, contentious shooter Six Days in Fallujah has been delayed and will no longer launch by the end of this year. The surprise comes from the nature and length of the delay. Six Days of Fallujah will now come out near the end of 2022, a full year from now. In a letter from the game's official website, the studio wrote in part, quote, it became clear that recreating these true stories at a high quality was going to require more people, capital, and time than we had. Doubling our team is just one of the many things we're going to do to make sure Six Days in Fallujah brings new kinds of tactical and emotional depth to military shooters, end quote. This version of Six Days in Fallujah, which is being developed by Highwire Games on behalf of publisher Victora, is actually a revival of the original canceled game from the same, by the same name. As you may recall, the initial game was developed by a studio called Atomic, which was planning to release the game with publisher Konami in 2009. Controversy surrounded the game that year and into the next, however, and it was effectively abandoned without a publisher or means to distribute. The controversy largely stemmed from the game's telling of war stories out of Iraq when the conflict was still ongoing. When it was announced to be revived early in 2021, it was promised for this fall, but it was also met with substantial industry pushback, and it seems like they may be taking the time and using the money necessary to really get this right. Chris, I have to say, I knew this was coming. They, they hadn't said anything about this game in a long time. It was clear it was not going to come out this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's November. But, right. But it seems like they get what is necessary. I don't know if they found new investors. I don't know if someone with some money and means got a hold of a build or whatever. But they're doubling the team size as the game already exists and they're giving themselves a year to get it out. So my first prediction is that this game's not coming out in 2022. My second prediction is, is that they feel the requisite nerve of saying, like, you're, if you want to get involved in this, then that's cool. I think that's great. But you, you got to do it right. You don't have to do anything, but if you don't get it right, then people are going to destroy you. And they seem to get that. I think a bigger staff, a few more million dollars, another year, year and a half in the hopper may not make them the requisite money, but will at least allow them to safely release this game. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I I don't think it's coming out in 2022. I think uh, maybe I I, I could see like early or summer 2023 at the earliest uh, for a game like this. I mean, Highwire is a, is a is a relatively small studio. It's it's a, it's a new studio, especially. So like, I mean, there's obviously going to be uh, some work around that if they're working on something as you know serious as this. They're gonna want to put the proper amount of polish into it as as they can. And from what I've seen, like, I mean, like the gameplay itself, what we saw didn't look particularly interesting. But what stood out to me, like when we first saw it, was the sound design. Like the sound design is like really really. Like, in my opinion, from, like, the trailers that we saw, really solid. Like, surprisingly good. I didn't think that would matter in, a, in like, a modern-day game where it's just ultimately just gunfire. Like, gunfire and shit. But they, they did a good job with it. So, like, the the fact that that part of the game is in such a good, sp- uh, such a good spot, I could see, like, another year or a year and a half of development time really going to good use. The main concern I have with this game is, like, 
I feel like it's just setting up expectations for itself that I don't know if it'll be able to meet. It's almost like if, because to me, it feels like spec ops the line. You know what I mean? And I'm kind of, even though I don't fully expect that, I think I'm going to be going into this game when it comes out, expecting something of that tier. And it might not hit that. And I can't, but I can't help it because that's kind of like the vibe that it's like, it's a war documentary. It's like very real. It's very serious. And, you know, best of luck to them. I hope they nail it. But me too. I'm, you know, we'll see. That is, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's high risk, high reward. Yeah. High wire. Dustin, I, I'm curious if you agree. I, I feel like they're leaving it all on the field here in some way, it seems like. I think this game represents something very important. I, I don't think I want to understate it. In the console space, not the PC space, where there's much more granular and serious war games. But in the, in the console space, war is not treated very seriously. Now, that's neither here nor there. I don't care if it's treated seriously or not. I think some games can. Some games try. Some games don't bother. Some games fail. But I think this particular game, boldly going into the Middle East wars that began this century in their current form, is a risk worth taking. And I'm really rooting for this game to get it right because I think it will encourage more games to be told like or more stories to be told like this. And I think humanizing war and reminding people about how deadly it is and that it's not just a game, even if you're playing it and even if you can't get away from the gamification of shooters, for instance, it doesn't hurt to say this really happened, or it doesn't hurt to say, here's some context. And I think it was mentioned earlier with Call of Duty about how it's getting so far away from its World War II roots, but not going full Harry Turtledove, Hitler wins type shit, that it kind of gets lost in the middle. And so I think there's a place for both a game that plays like a kinetic FPS and tells a serious story. And it's very similar to how Spec Ops The Line, brilliantly brought up from Jaeger and Take-Two, 2K, this was a third-person shooter that is one of the great third-person shooters in terms of its gameplay, in my opinion, and arguably the greatest third-person shooter in terms of its story ever. And that's what the potential is. So what do you think? Definitely. They want to be careful, for sure, and I respect that. It would be... I feel like if I was a developer on this game or if I was you know, part of the team, whatever... There would be an immense amount of pressure to make sure the game is at the very least good because you're making this game to tell the stories of the people that were at this horrible conflict. And you want to do right by not only the people that went out emotionally for you to be a part of this product, but also for the people that maybe didn't make it that are having their story told. And, you know, to get something like a uh, a 50 out of 100 on Metacritic or something would be a, a really crappy situation. That would feel really bad. And so uh, beyond that also, I mean, there's financial imperatives that you want to make sure the game is good from a sales perspective. That's kind of the issue when you... It's not just for video games. For really any art form, there's the cross-section of business and artistic vision that you kind of have to meet somewhere in the middle in order to get projects like this made. So I'm glad to see that they're able to take this extra time. I hope it pays off because like you, Colin, I think that regardless about how you feel about this conflict or the subject matter of this game, we, I personally want to encourage 
things like this to exist in order to push the medium forward. Yeah, I agree. It would be a catastrophe if uh, for similar games if this game doesn't hit. And I think that in some way they have to insulate themselves from the predicted reaction that this game's going to get regardless. I think it's going to be judged much harsher than from critics that are going to be eager to tear it apart. And they have to insulate themselves like that because these kinds of games are anathema to most critics. Like they can't even imagine that this game could work, but I can imagine it. In fact, I feel like you have to have not much vision to imagine the potential. Yeah, and that's what sure. I'm excited about. We'll see what happens. The second delay I wanted to discuss, number four, it's been a long time since we've gotten a new Saints Row game, and based on a recent announcement, it's going to be a little while longer yet. The upcoming PS4 and PS5 game from developer Volition will no longer launch on February 25th, 2022, and will instead come out later in the year on August 23rd. A letter to the audience from the developer reads in part, quote, Our priority is to create the best Saints Row game yet, and if we released on the original date, it wouldn't be up to the standards we've set ourselves, and that you're expecting and deserve. The team just needs more time to do our vision justice. We're doing some fine-tuning, and there won't be much change in the game outside of overall quality and polish. In all honesty, we underestimated the impact COVID would have on our schedule, although everyone adapted very quickly to the working-from-home arrangement and continued to be incredibly productive. However, due to the size and scope of our new Saints Row, it's become apparent that to create the best game possible, we need to give the game or we need to give the team longer to uh, perform their craft, end quote. The new Saints Row will be the first since 2015, when Gat out of Hell came to PS3 and PS4. 2011 Saints Row the Third and 2013 Saints Row 4 are also available to play on PS4 as well as on PS3, though you'll need to go back to PS3 for 2008's Saints Row 2. The original 2006 game never came to PlayStation. Known for its wacky style and deep irreverence, publisher THQ and later Deep Silver shepherded the series, though it's perhaps still best known for 2011's Saints Row the Third. Volition, which was owned by THQ and now by Deep Silver, was last seen with the strange Saints Row-type spinoff game Agents of Mayhem, which launched on PS4 in 2017 to a lukewarm response. Dustin, we'll go to you first on this one. Similar to this, although for a completely different list of reasons, they have to get this game right. Now, I love what they wrote in their letter. They were very explicit. The game's not changing. And I think that a lot of people might have looked at this delay and been hoping against hope that they were going to change the stylistic approach or some of the stuff that they've done. That decision's made in cast in stone. That's not going to change, and that's not realistic for them to change that at this late hour. But I think they realize because this game is going to be met with controversy from Saints Row fans and some trepidation that they have got to polish it to an absolute absolute sheen so that it is in its best possible state and makes its best possible first uh, impression. I'm glad that it's getting knocked out of February, by the way, that that February 25th day particularly is getting way too crowded. I think they know that they're going to lose there. And so I think they have nothing to lose mm-hmm. by pushing it out. Although I'm disappointed because I was really looking forward to that game. I don't know why. I just feel like I want to play that kind of game. So what do you think about this delay, Dustin? Yeah, I think it's good that they're pushing out of a less crowded time. You're right that people are going to be very harsh on this game already just because they did not like what they saw initially and so for them to make sure that it's very polished and that you don't give people any more solid reasons um, not that the reasons that people are upset about the view of, the, of what they saw the game were wrong before but I think that they just want to make sure that you know there's not like a huge buggy mess on top of the fact that people don't like the direction of the series either so it's interesting in that Saints Row has always been this alternative GTA type game that fit in between the releases of GTA games, but now it's been so long since we've had any kind of GTA game that 
maybe this could be huge for them in that people want something new that's like a GTA game, but they don't want to play GTA online. So this is the the potential option. And I think something also important to mention is just that Agents of Mayhem did not do well and was not a well-received game either. So they have that going against them as well. So yeah, it's important for them to come out strong on this one. I think that's relevant information, especially because Agents of Mayhem still tried to kind of stay with the old Saints Row feel of yeah. silliness and over-the-top stuff, which people say they're missing here, and yet they didn't go and support that. That's why I said with Saints Row the Third, I still feel like even though Saints Row 4 happened, I feel, I feel Chris, like Saints Row the Third is still the one people remember the best. Therefore, they have to surpass this one coming out more than 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they can win, but this is another team I'm rooting for because I feel like to Dustin's point, with a dearth of Grand Theft Auto, we need a game like this. We don't have Mafia, right? We haven't had a Mafia game since 2016. We don't have Grand Theft Auto in the space. We're waiting for maybe one day the getaway might come back or something. So there's there's something to be said about GTA clones and um, the place this game might have. Yeah, I mean, especially after Rockstar just botched, uh, just completely botched the uh, trilogy. I think uh, this is a good time for them to to say like, hey, we're going to be putting some more time into this. And we're going to be making this right. Whether or not that is actually true, because, like, I mean, every single one of these press releases sounds exactly the same. It's like, we need more time to make the best game possible for our loyal fans. And it's like, all right, well, if you need more time, don't, you know, don't have a release date in the first place. You know, like, I I, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe that's, like, too simple, but, like, I feel like it's just, I feel like it's pretty valid. No, I think it, I don't think it's too simple. And I keep saying that I think release dates are often attached in February and March because they're trying to get the numbers, the pre-orders in for their, at least those early numbers in under the, what was typically the cutoff for your, your fiscal year, yeah. right? Which is March. So I just feel like there's a lot of number play there. Yeah. I, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit cynical with it, with these announcements though, because part of me is almost like, because people know that people react positively to delays now in a way that they kind of didn't before. Like, it used to be, like, a big deal where it's like, oh, I got delayed, God damn it! Now I'm so upset. Now it's almost like, oh, we understand. It's like, oh, so many games launch so poorly. It's great to have a, a studio like, oh, finally, they're delaying the game and we're going to get a better game in the end. Like, that whole Miyamoto quote is, like, everywhere. It's it's almost, it's almost even though it's not even true <laughs> uh, anymore. You know, I, I think the attitude towards delays is a lot more positive now, and I almost feel like there's, like, a cynical aspect in my mind that's like, Maybe they just announced these release dates to delay them intentionally to get goodwill almost like I don't know if that's necessarily something that happens. I can't prove that. But like I get this like really uncomfortable feeling that that's possible and uh, it bothers me a little bit. I'm not saying they're doing it, by the way. I'm just saying it's a feeling. I have. No, th- there's something there's something untoward going on with delays, no doubt. Like it's not up to the people in the, in the trenches to know these things yet. They do know them. I talk to people all the time when your game is when they're like, your release date is eight months out. The team knows if the game's coming out eight months or not because they're making it. And if that seems not possible, then you're kind of waiting internally sometimes for someone to say something, perhaps your producer. And then obviously it bubbles up and they announce a delay. So we'll see what happens there. But the, the uh, third delay is number five here. You may recall that back in 2020 publisher slash developer Capcom revealed a strange sci-fi game called Pragmata. Oh, yeah. It's notable because it was one of a few major reveals made from third party publishers at the PlayStation 5 showcase in June that year. And ever since, folks have been curious about the next gen only space horror game. 
Originally slated for launch in 2022, Capcom has pushed the game into 2023 to give them more uh, give more time to the dev team. We otherwise know almost nothing about Pragmata other than that it takes place on the moon, and as games often are, it takes place in some sort of dystopia. Other than a couple of strange videos and screenshots, we know nothing. All indications are that you play as a little blonde girl, however, who is prominently shown not only in the game's announced trailer and screenshots, but also in the eerie video that announces the delay. Could also be that you're playing as that astronaut character. I have no idea. Yeah. There really only, there's really only one video of this thing. There's not too much to say about this. I don't know if you have anything to say, Dustin. We don't even know who's developing this game. Uh, it's yeah. it, conceivably internal at Capcom, but I can't even track down specific teams. So I'm curious to know more about this uh but I, do you have anything to say, Dustin? Not really. I'm still interested just from a, a visual perspective, but uh, I guess it's better to just say nothing and delay for now. I agree. And uh, Chris, uh, do you have anything to say about Pragmata? No, I, I, we, I mean, we all know uh, the same amount of nothing about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking, I'm just clicking around here just to make sure, like, it, it just says all the places, IGN, etc. they all say developer and publisher is Capcom, so... I'd be, I'd be curious to know who more about who's actually making it. All right. Number six, Riot Games, best known for its mega popular decade old PC MOBA League of Legends, is jumping into the console space. We've discussed this in the past. Riot made it clear some years ago that it was going to expand out of the both the PC and League of Legends spaces, which it ultimately must do to survive long term. And as such, we got one key announcement. A turn based League of Legends RPG called Ruin King would come to PlayStation 4 and then out of nowhere, it came out as in right now. Ruin King is the first in the so-called League of Legends stories franchise and the second game. Hextech Mayhem was also announced and then sim simultaneously released from the subseries, though not yet on PlayStation. But two more games are coming. One is called Convergence and the other is called Song of Nunu. Both are aiming at PS4 and PS5 and both will launch at some point in 2022. While Riot Games turned to its fully owned team Airship Syndicate for Ruin King, they're pre actually breaking out and bringing some teams on in a second party capacity for these two other titles. The puzzle-centric Song of Nunu is coming from Spanish team Tequila Works, best known for their 2017 action platformer Rhyme while 2D-focused studio Double Stallion will be working on the lower five Convergence. Though rife with competition, Riot continues to be at the top of pro gaming circuits with League of Legends, though the core game itself isn't on console, and there seems to be no plans to migrate it over, even with PlayStation 5's increased focus on mouse and keyboard gameplay. Chris, when I saw this, I couldn't help but think about that. PlayStation is ratcheting up mouse and keyboard support, mm -hmm. and many, not many, but there are a handful of games that are supporting it, including shooters and others, I was wondering, why don't they release League of Legends on PlayStation? It, it, it seems like it could be something that you could do. And I was thinking it could be locked behind mouse and keyboard requirements. They do the same thing with VR games. They sell VR games and it's very clear what you need to buy it. And mm -hmm. They make sure that you understand. And I feel like maybe that could be a way to make League of Legends more relevant in this space. But nonetheless, I feel like Riot needs to do this. And they, if anything, they should have done this a long time ago. I was really surprised to see the game just drop out of nowhere. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I played League of Legends in college in 2012 for about three days. <laughs> and, you know, I thought it was like, yeah, this is a video game. You know, I, I, it really baffles me that it's as popular as it is. But, like, maybe it's just like it just doesn't yeah, speak it's to me. Baffling. It, is, it is baffling. But, but you know, I mean, I, I, I do think it's interesting your, your thought about, like, having, like, almost like a, a separate skew, you know, for like, hey, these are games that require mouse and keyboard. I think that'd be interesting. I think the only problem is it's just like there's no precedent for that, which is like the only issue about that. It's like there's no example of a game that does that. So like how would no, they... No, no, there's not. There's not. I, I just think part of me feels like they need to come out with an official mouse and keyboard. 
And they could do that and make an announcement saying, like, we're doing this because games are some games are going to support it as an option. And in the future, we're going to have games that require the mouse and the keyboard, similar to how you needed the Super Scope 6 to play fucking light gun games on SNES. It's really no. In my mind, it's no different. Right, right. You just got to communicate. You got to just communicate it. Right. For I sure. Think. I think the attitude towards that, though, is, is different now. Like, I, I feel like now if you like required somebody to get peripherals or like specific peripherals for like a game, they'd be like the fuck out of here. You know, it's, it's kind of why Guitar Hero and Rock Band never came back. Or, or oh, like, yeah, I know they tried. Um, yeah, they tried, and you know, people just don't. People just want their games to work with their console. They don't want to have to spend more money on shit. It's like I gotta, but like I can't imagine people don't have mice and keyboards. But like I would imagine that that's there's a few people who'd be like they buy a League of Legends game or whatever. <laughs> well, I guess they wouldn't buy it. It'd be free, so I guess like who cares? Uh, that's, that's an interesting. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, but it's just it's just a thought. I, Dustin, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this league of legends kind of you know making a play i i I remember actually having my friend leah jackson who works there on their comms team on fireside chats some years ago and asking her kind of like don't you feel like it's imperative that you guys make a different game and i think they know that and they're working on other stuff i think outside of league of legends too it's also worth noting that riot is completely chinese owned as well so i'm not exactly rooting for them or anything like that but what do you think about this migration and kind of more games from League of Legends coming out? Very similar to what I was saying about Call of Duty. Like, and Grand Theft Auto did it too with Liberty City Stories and Vice City Stories. It's cool to explore these universes. I don't think they'll ever put League of Legends on PlayStation just because, to my understanding, League is their own launcher on PC. So they make 100% of the money that comes through. And it's so easy to run that game. Like you can run it on your your mom's old laptop probably so yeah it runs on mac i remember yeah, that was why even, i played it because, right like, i had a macbook and i couldn't play anything else on it so i'm guessing that that is probably an angle where they're like well why would we put this over on playstation where we have to give sony 30 percent when it it's so easy to run across all these different systems on pc Maybe not, though. Maybe they would eventually look into that someday. But it is cool to see them expand. I think that especially right now, they're in a good spot to expand what types of games come out from that universe when we see Blizzard going down in a lot of ways. I heard rumors that they're maybe and it's maybe not even a rumor that they're working on an MMO in the League of Legends universe and that would be huge right now, especially in a world where World of Warcraft is not doing so hot. There's already so many people that are interested in that world. There's a lot of potential for these different games. The fact they just... I don't know if it was a shadow drop, but it sure feels like it because I didn't know it came out until I was reading the notes earlier and then watched some YouTube videos and it didn't even seem like there's very much mainstream coverage on it Mm -hmm. so that seems either like a blunder or they're not very proud of it i i don't know if the game's good or not it's really weird though i remember them because valorant which is out was project a as i remember and that was gonna be like their first non-league or like league spinoff kind of thing and then i remember that they were talking about doing a fighting game do you remember that which i think was right project something else and then yeah some action rpg or something so they have like a bunch of plans but I don't know, like Valorant is cool and it's pretty popular, you know, hero shooter, but I think getting into more single player fare and, and securing more 
adherence and admiration for story, lore, plot, and wanting to go back to these places over and over again, apart from gameplay, makes a lot more sense. Because if their next games don't hit the way these games did, I, I like for instance, I think Valorant only is doing what it was even able to do because people know who Riot is. It, people don't get that kind of respect usually and deference in the space, the competitive space. So we'll see how these games do. Number seven is promised. The mergers and acquisitions or M&A is going to continue to increase in the industry as combined as companies combine, merge, acquire, fuse and jettison parts to keep themselves competitive. Setting the stage is Embracer Group, which made a shocking 37 studio acquisitions over the last year and, quote, expect to do a similar amount of transactions over the coming 12 months, end quote, according to a quote in its financials is pulled by website Gamatsu. For comparison's sake, Sony has, depending on how you count, 16 studios. A big player, unfortunately, continues to be ominous Chinese corporation Tencent, which has seeded more money into Western game devs. Playtonic, the British developer and publisher best known for its fledgling ukulele series, sold a minority share of itself to Tencent, and Tencent has also acquired Wake Up Interactive, a Japanese entity that works in support roles on console games. Better news comes from elsewhere, though. Website GamesIndustry.biz reports Finnish Team Remedy, the studio behind Max Payne, Alan Wake, and Control, is opening a new studio in Sweden, while beleaguered publisher Ubisoft officially announced the formation of a Quebec-based team called Ubisoft Sherbrooke. The website also reports that Chinese developer Mi Yo, the force behind the mega-popular worldwide hit Genshin Impact, is opening a team in Montreal that will work on an open-world shooter, interestingly enough. Finally, Take-Two owned 2K nestled label, label Private Division has made a purchase of its own. It has purchased a British studio we know as Roll7, best known for its Ali Ali skating series. Worst fanboy ever wrote in and said, hello, Costanza, Colin, Cosmo, Chris, and Newman Dustin. It was reported this morning that ukulele developer Playtonic has received investment from Chinese gaming company Tencent. It feels like we are letting these reports of Tencent investment more and more these days, or feel, hearing them, which leads me to my question. Is Tencent investing in these companies just to get a return on investment? Or is there some other motivation that we aren't seeing? Is it just to make a return on investment? Why haven't any Western or Japanese companies taken notice and jumped in to get a piece of the pie for themselves? Tencent certainly can't be the only option out there for game devs looking for some financial support, can they? I want to just say this. In fairness to, in fairness in quotes, to Tencent and Chinese corporations. The Chinese communist government is ramping down hard on games right now. Really hard. Like timing how long people play games. Face ID shit. No games on certain days. No games allowed in certain areas. We were talking about one of those major games that's like the most popular game in the world that's played in China. Can't remember the name of it right now. World of something or whatever. It was supposed to be League of Legends ripoff, basically. And how that game, very similar to Dragon Quest in the 80s in Japan in a much lesser way, kind of shifted people's cultural norms and expectations around what video games can do. Of course, Dragon Quest famously used to come out on Sundays in Japan because people used to skip school to go buy and play the games when they would come out. So I feel like we have to say to be honest, to be fair, that is there, is there, is there ominous shit uh, going on? Maybe, probably. But also that Tencent and their investors are wise enough to know that they need to get out of China if they're going to make money. And I don't think they really even give a shit who, like, Platonic. I mean, no offense, it's like a big shrug. Yeah. They're, they're fine. I, I don't think anyone's going after these, com I don't think they're, like, identifying the biggest and best. And I think that's why you are not seeing compet competition for some of these studios, or if you are, it's not really being played on the board because I think Tencent is motivated to just diversify their geography. And that's something I wanted to just say in fairness to a company that we are certainly beating the shit out of on a regular basis on here. There's no doubt that they are under capitalistic pressure to diversify. Right. Number eight, as we do each month, we have NPD numbers for the month of October 2021, which tracks hardware and software sales in the world's biggest core gaming market, the United States. 
On the hardware side, PS5 was unable to retain its crown after displacing Nintendo Switch for the first time in years. Switch is back on top, likely due to hardware constraints. When it comes to games, these were the top five best-selling games for the month of October in the U.S. Far Cry 6, Back for Blood, Metroid Dread, Madden NFL 22, and Demon Slayer, The Hinomaki Chronicles. Other notable games include Guardians of the Galaxy at 7, NHL 22 at 9, Ghost of Tsushima at 13, Miles Morales at 17, and Diablo 2 Resurrected at 19. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War remains the best-selling game of 2021 so far, with MLB The Show 21 at 3, Miles Morales at 6, and Far Cry 6 already at 8. Ordered only on ordered only on PS4 and PS5 or buy those consoles. These were October's top 10 games in our ecosystem. Far Cry 6, Back for Blood, Madden NFL 22, FIFA 22, Demon Slayer, The Hinomaki Chronicles, Guardians of the Galaxy, NHL 22, NBA 2K22, Ghost of Tsushima, and Miles Morales. Chris, I thought this was interesting, the MPD stuff, simply because Back for Blood is on there. Yeah. And it seems like it's doing very well, even though it's free, in quotes, uh, included with Game Pass. Uh, anything stick out to you on this chart this month? I think Guardians. I think it's interesting, not necessarily because I didn't expect it to do well, but I, I don't know if I necessarily expected it to show up on the charts. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, especially after Avengers, I feel like people were a little bit down on, you know, games like these. And I'm I'm happy to see it's selling because it just shows that, you know, single player games are appealing. Who'd have thought? I know. Can you believe it? Yeah. What do you think about all these numbers, Dustin? I'm, I'm particularly curious what you think of the Demon Slayer. We talked yeah. about this last last week that the game is selling extraordinarily well and Bandai Namco said as much what do you make of these charts it's funny just because I'm watching Demon Slayer for the first time right now so when that popped up that definitely caught my interest the thing that's so funny about these anime games like this one was made by CyberConnect 2 it's got a 72 score on Metacritic and usually these anime games are just not that great, but it does not matter. These anime games always sell tons and tons of copies, and Demon Slayer is no different. It's actually a really surprising show to me, just in that it's good. I'm enjoying it. The animation is really nice. The characters are cool. There's nothing exceptional about it to me. But Demon Slayer has become this huge, huge property. And so it's not surprising to me to see that the game, as mediocre as it may be, uh, do very well. Just because it doesn't seem to matter with these anime games. So, I mean, good for them. Maybe the game is not that bad. It's only based on 12 critics on Metacritic. So maybe it's actually pretty good. Write in. Let us know. If yeah, you're definitely. a fan of the Demon Slayer game. I was going to say, it reminds me a little bit of um, not not just the name, but a similar situation we found ourselves in at IGN when Demon Souls came out, which was that no one, people might recall, no one was reviewing Demon Souls. It came out and kind of just no one cared. And then we heard later, like in the weeks to come, got to pay attention to this game Demon Souls. So we, we hired a freelancer to review it. And it might be a similar thing where these numbers start popping up from outlets that were just caught unawares and Based on its Metacritic score, it could be that Bandai Namco also shrewdly just didn't provide any copies to anyone knowing that the game would sell regardless. Because if you see that those few Metacritic scores with that Metacritic score and those sales numbers, like you said, Dustin, it just means that that all points in the same direction. It just doesn't matter. Right. Number nine is a wrap up. Publisher Bandai Namco revealed that action RPG Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 launched on PS4 in 2016 and fighting game Dragon Ball Fighters launched on PS4 in 2018 have each surpassed 8 million copies sold. 
The company also revealed its super popular Super Robot Wars game series, now 30 years old, has surpassed 19 million copies sold. Website Kamatsu, by the way, we never get, I think there's been like two of those games coming to the West. Hmm. Website Kamatsu reports adventure game, the plane effect and strategy game Warhammer 40k Battle Sector both come to PS4 on December 2nd. DRPG Vaporum Lockdown comes to PS4 and PS5, PS5 pardon me, on December 10th. Japan only PS1 RPG Moon and arcade shooter Blackbird both come to Western PS4s and PS5s on December 16th. I'm really interested in that game Moon. Racer Super Impossible Road and MMO Dragon Ball The Breakers both come to PS4 at an undetermined point in 2022. Stock game Stocks 9800 Stock Market Simulator comes to PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. That game looks awesome. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the NES game people might remember called Wall Street Kid. Horror game Ludo comes to PS4 and PS5 at an undetermined point in the future. And co-op FPS Skur Ritual comes to PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in the future. And finally, website Push Square reports Puzzler Heavenly Bodies comes to PS4 on December 7th. While Kung Fu game Sifu finally comes to PS4 and PS5 and sooner than expected been bumped up february 8th 2022 that's a rarity indeed so that's all we have for the news now boys tradition dictates that we end with six questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas from the audience on patreon at patreon.com slash last media because we talked about one of these issues earlier and brought one of them in we are left with five minus the grand theft auto inquiry so let's start with adam mccaughey says hi guys with the chip shortage affecting the supply of consoles and people still not able to get them on demand a year after launch do you think this will affect the life cycle of the generation of consoles? I know Colin mentioned on the most recent Sacred Symbols Plus that while PS5 has so far outsold PS4, the sales velocity is now dipping below that of last generation because of the availability of the consoles. With this inability of gamers to get their hands on the console, could we see this generation extended by a year or more so Sony can eke out more sales, similar to the way the, the recession extended the life of the PS3 and Xbox 360 generations? Thanks, as always. Adam, very apt of you to bring up the recession because, of course, famously, the recession extended substantially the life of Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. If you go back and look at how long those consoles were supported, it was kind of absurd. By 2013, we were desperate for a new console. Yeah, I, I remember that very well. Now, the same split in years happened by the time PS4 or similar PS5 and Xbox One came. But the, the, the quantum leap was not not as widely felt and therefore not as widely needed, I think. I don't think we needed these new consoles. And because of that, because of the softer need, Dustin, I'll go to you first. I think that the generation is going to be long. I, I don't, I think the intent is for a long generation. And I think the intent, as I said, when the PS5 was announced, maybe not, shouldn't be that big of a surprise. I was surprised that the consoles weren't more modular because I thought it was somewhat obvious that they were going to try to keep these things in your living room for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. I, I don't think that PlayStation six is something that they, they're, R&Ding in a major way right now. Yeah. I I wouldn't expect it to be modular just because the market has shown that they're willing to buy a second one of these things, you know, three or four years after with a, a PS4 Pro. So I think between the the extension of the generation because of the fact that no one can get them, when there's also some when when they are more available and we're starting to see the sales slow down, I think they will definitely hit us with a PS5 Pro. We've talked about that. In fact, was it Moore's Law is Dead said that there's like definitely one? Yeah, he works. says that it will come. Yeah. So between those two factors, I feel like definitely, yeah, we're going to see an extended generation. I guess the question just is how long? So if PS5 came out in 2020, let's say... 2024 25 maybe we get 
the PS5 Pro. It's in another three or four years after that. Right? Like 20, right. I, 28 maybe? I also think that... I, I think it could be. I also think that COVID pushback plans for the PS5 Pro, as we understand it from Moore's right. Law is dead. Therefore, that bumps everything else back. And it's very similar. That's why I think Adam bringing up the recession is so important. Because I think it just... The recession made the entire generation of PS3 and Xbox 360 topsy-turvy by just in the middle of it. Both, I, It was ironic because the, the recession was awesome for video games. I hate to be the bearer of that news to people, but it was awesome for video games. For game sellers, for game makers, for game publishers, for websites like IGN. But ironically, people had more immediate, lesser amounts of money to spend from unemployment and stuff, so they would buy games for consoles they already owned, and then that extended... You know, for a while, things that were probably going to switch over sooner. And of course, PS5, I, I reported this at IGN that PS3 was delayed a year right off the bat. It was supposed to come out in 2005 as well. So, Chris, I'm curious what you think about the inability of gamers to get their hands on these consoles. Adam brings up, obviously, the velocity of PS5 is now below PS4. So it's going to start being outsold by PS4 steadily until they can get numbers up. So do you think that this just means that we go a longer period now with this console than maybe originally planned when they were making this thing in, let's say, 2017? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a long generation uh, in large part because I think we've had longer generations with far greater need to uh, with far greater need uh, for higher quality. You know, like I think the fact that these machines have kind of ubiquitized 60 frames you know i feel like that alone almost makes me wonder like what the need for another for a successor to this console in the first place even is you know like because i remember thinking when the xbox one and ps4 came out i remember playing games at 30 frames and it wasn't as big of a deal back then because a lot of games were 30 frames but i remember even thinking like back then it's like this is not it this is like this feels weak still like, this is new, and it feels weak in comparison to, like, the PC I have right now, you know, which was not even an impressive PC, mind you. So, like, I feel like the fact that we're seeing parity with, uh, you know, PC in a lot of places, especially with, like, ray tracing, I feel like all you'll really need is, like, stronger hard hardware refreshes like the PS, like like a pro version. I wouldn't be surprised if this generation lasts 10 years. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of... That's kind of where I'm at, too. And I, I don't want to speak too out of turn because obviously I'm a Luddite. Yeah. But my assumption is that in the coming years, they'll be able to bring the bear things like cloud computing and and share the burden of larger games on bigger platforms. And that maybe the PS5 won't need to be the burden or, or bear the burden of all of the power requirements of these games. Now, they're already doing this right with with Xbox games running on Switch and such. So I just feel like maybe that will also be a solution Yeah, is splitting the power differential and saying, like, we'll handle a lot of that computation on our end. And I feel like that's possible, especially. And we talked about this on with Moore's Laws Dead on Sacred Symbols Plus, that it's just that vision is possible. It just really requires like these companies to build tons of buildings like all around the world to be as near to people as possible. And then you could really have that solution solved because the, the light speed problem will be more bearable. All right. Joey Garcia wrote in and said, hey, guys, without getting too much into it, the Kyle Rittenhouse case got to that point. The prosecuting attorney brought up violent video games. <laughs> Through listening to the cross-examination, it seemed as though the prosecution was grasping at straws outside the night of the shooting. When will we get to the point where games will no longer be thought of as a motive for violence? Thanks, guys. Yeah, we won't talk about Kyle Rittenhouse here. 
that's for another sh- that's like for a totally different ecosystem and different show but i will say that i was um disappointed to see this brought up again and uh chris mm. will go to you first i i just wonder when the scapegoating will end i find it peculiar and i do find it notable and it's important i think if we're going to be factually based that the attacks on video games are coming from the diametrically opposed side that the the conflict about video games used to come from mm-hmm. and that was also played out in and is being played out in just the brief response from rittenhouse but Remember, there was that piece, I think it was like from some some somewhat unsavory place like Breitbart or something, but it was, you know, those like quizzes that are popular when you go to websites and it's like, right, right. You take the different quizzes and it was like, did Jack Thompson say this or did Anita Sarkeesian say this? And yeah, I remember yeah. seeing that and being like, that's kind of brilliant because that there is a blurring line there. And I'm curious what you have to say about all of this, about the kind of the scapegoating of games, not only through the Rittenhouse lens, but just generally speaking, I, I feel like people have to staunchly stand for the freedom of expression. And right. It's just it's non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 uh, I agree. I think um, it was disappointing to see that, but at the same time, kind of refreshing to see that everybody was on the same page about it. Like, I, I don't know anybody who looked at that. Like, and I know people who are like all, all over the spectrum on their opinions on all sorts of things, especially like you know, even just topical, topical conversations like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and everybody pretty much unanimously was like. That's fucking dumb. That is a dumb thing to say. And the fact that he thought that that wasn't a dumb thing to say is astounding because it makes you wonder, like, how much are you being paid <laughs> like, to like, make these arguments if you don't know a basic thing like video games don't cause violence? That's been like a pretty consistent thing that's backed by study after study for the last decade plus. I will say, though, like I've seen... I don't know, man. I, I've seen people... Um, I don't want to name names, but I've seen people specifically point out how silly that claim was who just a few years ago were making the exact same. It is all opportunism. It's it's just like, oh, certainly. this fits my argument in the moment. And so I'm going to use it, you know, or or this is a silly argument now in this context because it's against somebody I dislike. And it's it, it really bothers me how flexible people are on their own morals and their own stances just so they can, like, get a dunk on Twitter or something. Yeah, it's so it's so dumb. I totally agree with you. I uh, it's funny that my stance on freedom of expression never wavers, right? Never, just never wavers. And Mm -hmm. it's just because you need to protect. I mean, this goes without saying you protect freedom of creation and and artistic license and all that is you want to protect the horrible shit because the good stuff doesn't need protection. Yeah. Dustin, what do you uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, it was it's so clearly obvious that it was a scapegoat. Uh, especially, I mean, we don't want to talk about the trial too much. I don't want to get into it, but there's also a clip of the same lawyer, like holding a gun with his finger on the trigger. And it's like, no trigger discipline. I, to me, it's like kind of related. It's like you pulled this thing about guns, about video games out of, out of a hat to try to get a gotcha, which it clearly failed. And then it's obvious, you know, nothing about guns at the same time based on this photo. And it's not just this case. It's basically any time that this argument has come up that it's obvious that it's coming from a person who is extremely ignorant on the subject. So, like, I'm I'm with Chris, though. At least from what I saw, it was unanimous that people thought that this argument was dumb. And I think we've mostly gotten 
to that point now. And at this point, it's not something that I'm like worried about from a legislative or perspective or whatever. Yeah. Usually just when it comes up, everyone laughs. What a moron for bringing that up. And then people move on. So I think we're in a good space with it overall. Rubinos wrote into us and said, hey, boys, are we ever going to get a proper send off to the PS4? Yes, I know that cross-gen games will continue for the unforeseeable future, including major Sony first-party releases next year. However, none of you are going to play them on PS4. Given the strange nature of this extended cross-gen period, doesn't it make sense to celebrate the best of PS4 while it's still fresh in our memories? Thanks, as always, for the great content, and make sure to give that chicken a rest over Thanksgiving. Well, we'll get a rest indeed. Now, this is an interesting question, Dustin, because I've been thinking about when we're going to wrap it up on this console, when we're going to kind of proclaim here's the best here's the worst here's what happened here's the history i just it's not up to us if sony's going to continue to support this console and by the way we mentioned at least one time every game that's going to come to the console a ps4 ps5 psvr vita back in the day on this show there are so many games coming to ps4 still and many games still coming only to ps4 and not to ps5 so i just don't think we're in the right frame of mind for this yet unfortunately because i agree with you it would be much more fun to do it now but i don't think the picture would be complete yet Right. That's the the sticky part is that so many developers are going to just continue to release those games on either just PS4 since PS5 has backwards compatibility or both. And why wouldn't they when the install base on the PS4 is so big and the backwards compatibility exists? So I don't know when we're going to see PS4 go away in fact it might not the entire generation i would think maybe at the tail end we'll start to see it kind of go away but think of like some of these indie games they don't need to run exclusively on ps5 they can run just fine on ps4 as well and Mm. as long as there's that install base with people continuing to play it i foresee them continuing to release it It'd be kind of interesting even to see Sony, depending on how bad the chip shortage is, look at the PS4 as a budget option in the years to come. I don't know. Is there a possibility they release a new version of the PS4 that's extremely budget friendly since the parts for it would be so cheap and there's so many smaller games that are still coming out for it? I don't know. It's clearly still money moneymaker for them, so... Why why move on completely even when your first party development has moved on? Yeah, we don't we haven't gotten the third redesign, which usually right. happens to the consoles. Not PS1, but PS2 and PS3 both had a like a third redesign. And particularly PS3 with the George Foreman grill. Oh and, god. Yeah. <laughs> which was like just a really budget PS3. But Chris, my concern here is that we've seen PS4 sales have softened a lot, like considerably. I don't think they even sold a million PS4s last quarter. Right. So like, that's horrible. And I mean, the PS4 has already done its numbers. It's it's hard to judge it. But I do question whether we're going to reach a point before we know it where we wake up or we, we blink and the PS4 is just not relevant anymore. And it kind of went away in a different sort of way than the other consoles did. Because the PS3 to PS4 move happened quicker and it was much more sudden, especially in first party. They're just really stringing this thing out. And it's hard to know when we should get PS4 to do. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think this, even as far back as PlayStation 2, I, I just feel like this question, 
like when does the generation end means different things to different people like in my opinion the ps4 is done like in my from because from my perspective i'm never touching that thing again but i mean even playstation 2 i think i think the last game to come out for ps2 was like pro evolution soccer in like 2013 like when the ps4 came out so like i mean you know a lot of consoles have these weird histories of being supported for a very very long time doesn't mean that the ps2 was relevant up until that moment you know like the ps2 was definitely not relevant in 2013 like not even remotely, but that is when the last game came out for it, and there were games coming out for it in twenty twelve and like twenty you know twenty eleven. So I feel like we do kind of even though games are kind of cross gen and there is like this this um this idea that the PS four will be supported for a long time and I do think it will. I do think we just as a as a community kind of need to just kind of come together and just decide like you know what. This is the time to cap things off. I don't know when that'll be. I would imagine probably like in the next two years because let's because games are going to be coming out in PS on PS4 in 2028. I promise you, at least one. Game no, I, I I don't think you're wrong. I mean, even MLB The Show came out to PS2 until 2012. So yeah, there's something here. I, I have to say, I think we got a little bit of a hint about how things are going to go <clears throat> just from the three delays we discussed. Six days. And Saints Row are both 2022, <coughs> excuse me, 2022 games that are coming to both consoles. Pragmata is a next-gen exclusive coming in 2023. So maybe we'll just, time will do its job. I think, yeah. I agree with you. I think people need to be a little bit more malleable. COVID's kind of fucked things up, but I think people have also used that as an excuse because while consoles are not accessible, you know, we got to move on and this this idea that people can access things has never held us back in the past ever yeah so it's not going to hold us back now asher Massey wrote in and said hey cdc i've been a long time listener and follower of colin since podcast beyond but i'm writing in for the first time i've been looking forward to playing sherlock holmes chapter one which is developed by frogwares who are best known for their sherlock holmes games and the sinking city although i don't have a ps5 yet i've been playing their older sherlock holmes games crimes and punishment which is exactly what i'm looking for in these types of games my question for you is, do you like playing any murder mystery or detective style games? And is and is this genre like stealth that is, I'm sorry, and is this a genre like stealth that isn't explored enough? I wish Dustin a speedy recovery and hope you are all staying healthy. Thank you for all of the great content. Thank you, Asher, for writing in. What comes to mind for me immediately, Dustin, is Danganronpa, although, and we're both huge fans of that series, although I also will say that Phoenix Wright was really my first entryway into these kinds of games. And I'm not a huge fan of them, but... They can hit right at the right time for me. I was a real big Phoenix Wright fan for a while. I really loved those games. And when they came to PS4, I think in 2018 in that compilation, I played through the first one that they released because I think they were actually like the Justice Apollo ones, maybe that I was like, oh, oh, this is this is awesome. I'm really into playing these games, but I need them just once in a while. And earlier this year, listeners might remember that I went through and platinumed Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc on Vita. And then I started playing Danganronpa 2, which I was going to do the same thing where I was going to platinum it. And I was like, eh, like that. That's a great game. But I'm just I, I need to give myself a little space. So how do you feel about these kinds of mystery murder puzzle solving kind of more passive games? It's funny because I don't seek them out. But when I find one that I really like, I'm very much into it. Of course, you mentioned Danganronpa and those three games are basically immaculate in my mind. I, I love all three of those. But I don't know. I guess it makes sense that I'm naturally drawn towards the more anime Japanese aesthetic uh, murder mystery type games. 
One in particular that I also really liked was the Zero Escape games. Mm-hmm. The first two of those are Virtue's really... Last Reward or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The first two I really, really liked. The third one I didn't end up finishing, but... That I've was always... the Nonary games, right? Or whatever that was yeah. called? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And the first one is 999? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I understand. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But... Those ones are absolutely excellent. I don't know why I know that, but... Yeah, I uh, I've always been curious about these Sherlock Holmes games. I know that they have a very dedicated fan base and I'd be curious to check them out. I think one of them was on PS Plus, actually. Yeah, at I was going to say, I feel like so that might, might be it. true. Yeah, yeah. I was going to think. Yeah. Chapter one just came out. I've heard good things, too. I mean, we'll see. Frogwares. Um, that's their thing. I think there's a place for everything. And yeah. So, Asher, I'm glad you enjoy those. I want to throw this last one, though, at Chris. Jared Webster wrote in and said, hey, guys, a long time. First time. The final trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home was released this week, and if you believe the rumors, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield will be joining Tom Holland's Spider-Man in a Spider-Verse crossover extravaganza. Is there any chance the insomniac Peter Parker will make a cameo in the movie? Perhaps this is why the actor portraying Peter changed from PS4 to PS5 for the re-release. Could there be anything to do this, or do I need to take off the tinfoil hat? Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work. I have to say, Chris, I don't know the, the machinations of this and how it works in the universe and stuff, but it's a fucking great idea. I don't know how you would do it, or if it's possible. And so I want to know what you think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably not. I think there is a bit of an homage to Spider-Man PS4's costume design in the new Spider-Man movie, because I think that there's it's a Spider-Man movie. So he's got to have like eight different suits because they got to sell eight different toys. It's like one of those movies. I think it's a stipulation for Marvel and Sony so that they can like I think Sony makes merchandising rights, I think. And then like. Uh, Marvel just makes I, I don't know they have like some really weird agreement so they can share Spider-Man and, and I, I have a feeling that that's the reason why you see so many suits in these movies but I think there is some kind of homage to PS4 Spider-Man but I don't think the actors in it you know this is already like a stacked movie like you got Alfred Molina Willem Dafoe I'm excited you know yeah I, I, think, it look, I think it sounds cool and at the at, if if Tobey Maguire is really in this movie I'm, I might I might shed a tear you know, I, I might be that happy, but, you know, we'll see. I, I wouldn't expect much video game. I, I wouldn't expect many video game references to be made, though. This is very clearly meant to call back to Spider-Man's like cinematic history more than anything. So anything else might be reaching for the stars, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well said. I knew you would be the right person for that. So that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols PlayStation podcast. Uh, Chris, do you have any closing comments? Uh, no, man. Well, I, I will say I got something in the mail recently that I'm pretty happy with. And it makes me wish that Sony did this controller customization thing. I made myself an Xbox controller in the colors of the like the original PS1 DualShock. Oh, cool. Of, like Whoa. the gray and like silver. And it looks so sick. And I like I wish like yeah, if anybody's listening right. from Sony, like, please do this. Like, this they is are. so it's so fun. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Hello, Sony. I know you're out there. I know you're out there. Yeah, that could. I. I mean, I agree. That controller lab thing they got going on is awesome. It's been. It's been awesome for years. No idea why Sony doesn't do that. Dustin, closing comments. Nothing crazy other than just I'm excited for the weekend when I can leave the house, maybe go to a restaurant or something. That's so Chris, you you brought up controllers. With all this Halo I'm playing, I'm thinking about getting the Elite controller since they're uh, they seem so nice, but. I don't know. I'm worried if I use it, it's going to like ruin other controllers for me. <laughs> so 
I don't think it's the, like it's really good, but I actually like the the default Series S controller quite a bit. It's like mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like I think um, they're really nice controllers. The weight behind them, like they feel really high quality. But I mean, I don't think it's gonna ruin other controllers for you. I think it just might be like a an additional thing, you know? Yeah. I will say though, if you're playing on PC, try mouse and key because mouse and key kind of feels pretty good. I might need to try it again. I. When it comes to FPS games, I'm all about mouse and keyboard, like almost exclusively. But there's something about Halo. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just years and years and years of playing Halo on controller. I just can't switch over. But maybe I'll give it a shot. We'll see. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everyone out there as well for their love, kindness, and support of all things Sacred Symbols, Sacred Symbols Plus, Last Stand. Remember, again, to come to patreon.com slash Media to join us on Patreon. Get early ad-free access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Get your name in the credits, Sacred Symbols Plus, and so on. This also goes for Defining Duke and Knockback, our Xbox and Retro and Nostalgia podcast, respectively. Lastdaymedia.shop for merch. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. And that's it. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacio, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Alan Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Antti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R, Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Joey Rawlings, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro 
Astro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.